Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good other times of the day. That Good night, that's the other one that I was trying to think of. Um, everyone that's listening to this, even if you don't ever reach out to us, you're just there lurking in the shadows of podcast land, letting us into your ear tubes on a weekly basis, but never bloody reaching out when we ask you to contact us. Um, can you guess what we were discussing before we started? I probably shouldn't have spent the past 10 minutes moaning about it, because this is going to be <laughs> everything. <laughs> It's there. It's in the forefront of my mind now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, for those of you, for anyone that's new to this podcast, I'm Rooney, the intelligent one. This is Steve, the other one. My name's Steve. <laughs> I play the idiot. It's rather easy. <laughs> it's a very small village. He's yeah. the idiot. <laughs> I'm the drunk. Uh, you're you're far more abusive when you're drunk. <laughs> oh, thanks. Although it's worth mentioning, um, I am actually not drunk right now. This thing, I'm, I'm drinking a big, big vat of tea at the moment. Um, although Amy has asked me twice today if I'm drunk, because apparently <laughs> I'm really on form today. So uh, be warned, everybody. That's good, because <laughs> I woke up in, the, I've been in like a bad mood for about three days and I woke up in a terrible mood today. So Awesome. This is going to be fun. Balance. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, before we, we started uh, the recording today, we were having a chat, as we do, about uh, just about shit, actually. And then we got onto the subject of podcasts. And um, I just revealed to, to Steve that despite the fact I will give over like nearly three hours on a Saturday to recording a podcast and then basically the same across the next couple of days editing said podcast, I don't like podcasts. <laughs> You just like the sound of your own voice. Yeah, I, I like, as anyone that's ever been cornered by me at a party or any kind of function will readily attest, I like to talk to people about things that I like and give them my opinion on stuff like that. So a podcast for me is brilliant because the only person to answer me back and tell me I'm wrong is you. Um, well, it's like it's quite a good it's quite a good dynamic because I love podcasts and I hate talking. So. <laughs> just a perfect podcasting couple <laughs> yeah but as i was saying before we before we went live like i just don't think you found the right podcast yet i think because there there are so many i think if you found like you'll come across one one day where the people on the podcast don't annoy you or the subject matter really speaks to you like it's something you're really into i like if someone did somebody did a, a pirate podcast that was informative <laughs> and interesting whilst being entertaining i think you'd be all over that i just don't think you found the right one yet you're probably right actually thinking about it that's yeah i i've listened to a, a few different podcasts i'll do a little bit of name dropping here um because if i if i figured out the other day if we name drop them in the episode we can then tag their social media when we when we share this episode you can um, do that i'm not that I... desperate <laughs> That to me just feels like we're begging it. Like we're a bit thirsty. We're begging it. We're like, look at us, look at us. But we're engaging I, with our contemporaries. Yeah. This is why this is the other reason why this is a great dynamic because I don't want to go on the internet and ask anybody for anything. But you will. So you're like the public PR <laughs> face and I'm just a grumpy, miserable cunt that just like doesn't want to talk to anyone. Yeah, just so, bitches and moans about yeah. about nobody reaching out but doesn't want to reach out to anyone. Yeah, yeah, we got you I'm, sussed. I'm not begging them. Listen, I spend three hours a week putting out quality content. Like, 
what more do I need oh, to do? Oh, do you do another podcast? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Are you recording with someone else when when I'm not around? Is that yeah. is that how this works? <laughs> That's why we don't record on Thursday nights anymore because Thursday nights are far more successful podcast. Um, uh, but as I say, I I've listened to Coming to Get You. Yeah. Um, which is uh, Richie's horror one because he gets name dropped quite a lot. Um, but so you don't like horror, so. I don't, but I picked the episodes because okay. I listened to one of them I listened to most recently, uh, a couple of months back, I think, was their Starship Troopers one. Oh, OK. Um, and they, they are even worse than us for chatting shit before they get to the film. <laughs> I, really? <laughs> we thought Good. we were bad. They, they really go off on tangents. Um, the, the overwhelming consensus this week was if we spend half an hour having fun and kind of being a bit weird and bizarre and nonsensical new listeners aren't going to sit for it because they're not going to understand it if they haven't gone back to the first episode and can get all the callbacks and <laughs> if realize... they haven't sat through 36 hours of of yeah. us doing that shit they won't know what's going on like, it's okay i'm, I'm gonna I've add out my way since the beginning to build a universe of characters that because obviously we've been in lockdown the entire time we've done this. I know things have changed now, but we're still not recording in the same room. We're still being like smarter than your average Harlow person. And we're not rushing out and just like, you know, jumping to conclusions because the government say it's, all, it's okay to go out. But like from the beginning, I had a list of people that I was like, right, I want to have these people on the show. I want to have them as guests. I, I think they'd be interesting and funny. And fortunately, a lot of them people did actually are the ones that reached out. So that was quite good, which meant I was able to then like build them as characters on the on the pod. So when they do come on as guests, people will be like, oh, it's Lou. I'm really excited. Does Lou really have a website where he masturbates and makes voice notes? <laughs> or, or like we do an episode with Stacey and people are like, oh, Stacey, like boss of the space monkeys, like. She's, she's I wonder what she's going to say. Yeah, the smart, intelligent, sensible one that <laughs> probably doesn't need to be roped into all this bullshit, but I will continue to do it. Um, I really hates white rocks on the side of the road. Yeah, and frogs. <laughs> and frogs. Yeah, but like I've been building characters. I've been kind of going out of my way to build these mythos around these people. So when they do come on the show, like they're already characters and we can use them like we're not use them but we can mm -hmm. utilize them going forward as like if i don't know you know utilize is just a posh way of saying use right yeah i, know. <laughs> I don't mean it in a, in a negative way but we can like weave them in and out of episodes when we have narratives that we want to push or whatever and people will know who they are and uh yeah so then i kind of got told well no I shouldn't have asked. To be fair, it was it was if, it was in the asking. If I if I hadn't have asked, yeah. I would have just been tunnel visioned and carried on doing what what what, just, what just I really love doing. Steve, yeah. Steve, take take a note. There's this podcast I've been listening to. It's a bit shit. Um, one of the guys just waffles about nonsense for fucking hours on the bloody podcast, but at the end he says something that's actually really really good. It's it's find what you love, and I can't remember what the rest of it is, but positive <laughs> things will happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just had a complete brain fart and it's like, yes. find what you love, do something, <laughs> believe, in it. believe in it. There you go. 
find what you love, believe in it, positive things will happen. So maybe, you know, you should live by that. You should get that tattooed somewhere, like, I don't know, half on each ear or across your forehead or... Yeah, across my forehead. <laughs> you know, all times. I'll be like, all right, yes, I love it. Believe in it. Get so on does that mean that we can just ignore all the advice we got and just do what the fuck we want? Yes. Because that would make I mean, me happy. We've been doing that anyway. You've been ignoring my advice for, for the last 12 weeks. <laughs> I'll take some of it. Like you say. <laughs> well, yeah, you're wearing clothes now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll stop masturbating whilst recording, which is uh, improving. Terribly of, distracting. It improves your focus because you're actually thinking about the episode rather than what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm, so, I'm focusing on the episode rather than, you know, choking down my own bile. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what? Like, so far in this episode, I'm talking myself out of this really dark place that I found myself in. And the fact yeah. that. We just get to do whatever we want again and not give we, a fuck about new listeners. We should be available on the NHS. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> prescribe our pod. Just prescribe our pod. Just like, <laughs> look, if you're on the verge, if you've written if you've written your note and you've got your pills stacked up in front of you and you've pulled your drink, just take three hours to listen to, listen to one of our pods. And, uh, yeah, if you still want to do it, fair enough, but I, I doubt you will. Cause if you still want to do it... What you'll realise by the end of it is... <laughs> Your life's better than at least one person that does this pod. So. <laughs> if, if you still want to do it after listening to one of our episodes, um, take a selfie of you with your suicide note, send it to us, and we'll send you a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can wear it whilst you're being buried. <laughs> uh, uh, See what I mean? I'm, I'm on one today, mate. It's, oh. <laughs> it's normal, like... It's all well and good when, like, I make suicide jokes because I've been there and <laughs> it's something I battled. And so, like, I'm allowed to talk about it when you do it. Like the most positive, upbeat, happy person I've ever met. It, there's there, there, there may be something wrong with that. So I'm giving them I'm trying to give them something to live for. You know, if, <laughs> if they send us this, this thing and then they're like, oh, well, let, let me go. Just before I swallow the pills, let me go and check out the T-shirt they're going to send me because I sent them my suicide note. Oh, no. Oh, they're really nice. Oh, he's just added some new ones that are available in orange. Oh, no. Well, maybe I'll do it after. I'll wait till I get the T-shirt, then I'll do it. And we'll yeah. just save the life, you know? Talking <laughs> about your excessive T-shirt designs. Yes. And something to look forward to. Um, I'm really excited to bring up my sponsorship idea that I didn't think I was going to get to talk about this week. Oh, God. Can, can so, we just erase the, the last 20 minutes so that you don't bring it up? <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're, you don't have to, well, you have to do all the work. But aside from that, this is not embarrassing. Well, slightly embarrassing, but nowhere near as embarrassing as the rest of them. You will not get arrested. And if it works, if it all goes to plan, we'll make some money out of it. Like some real legit this, money. This one isn't going to get Disney sending their, uh, their black cease and desist bands over to my house. No, no, you know that I was thinking, you know that influx of listeners we've had in the past week. <laughs> They're all Disney well, lawyers. The Disney, the, the, the Disney law team, just <laughs> and the DC law team. They're they're working together. They got a joint task force to try and take us down. I didn't even tag them. I didn't even <laughs> tag them in any of the social media because I was like, no, we want to keep this as far away from these people that it could possibly offend as as we as we can manage. <laughs> No, they're both such big corporations that they employ one person to do like an algorithm check of new podcasts every week and then go and listen to them, see if they can like gonna, sue them for anything. We're going to come off, of this, off this recording and get a fucking email from Sounder. It'll be Sounder. 
now owned by the Disney Corporation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now a proud part of the Disney family. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> now shut down by DC Comics. <laughs> um, well, it'll be Netflix next week, so don't worry. <laughs> We're going to take them all out. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've got this new sponsorship idea. Okay. It's it it's long. It's going to take us probably a year before we can get to the point. But I really do think well, it's not really sponsorship. It's more kind of like getting the word out. It's pretty much I I'm proposing we uh, we put together a 20 minute pitch documentary called the Uranus Boys. Why? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what happened? And basically, yeah, I, I'm thinking if we can get this 20 minute. Stop laughing at me. <laughs> I've barely even got into it yet, and you're just laughing at me. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'll mute my mic so you can't hear me. No, 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 no. <laughs> Laughing's contagious, and as much as I tell you not to laugh, I want everyone else to laugh, so, you know. Um, yeah, so basically, I'm thinking if we can get this 20-minute homemade pitch documentary, we can take it to, like, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Amazon, any of these streaming services, and one of them is bound to see how fascinating and interesting <laughs> so the, the whole basic idea is that you go on myspace and you like find all the members of, of the uranus boys and you kind of like collect all their contact information and stuff look them up on facebook and like reach out to them and try to get them to um to come and sit down and do interviews with us and uh once you've you've got a couple we at first before we get the money we're going to need to get like a couple of people like you'll obviously be on it you'll be the main star and then we'll bring a couple of people in so we've just got to make 20 minutes and then once we've done this pitch documentary we'll take it to netflix and honestly like i i had the other day they were given like 200 million pound budgets for like this film 100 million pound budget for that film so the way I'm seeing it is that they've got more fucking money than sense and they can break us off a mill easy, right? <laughs> a mill is not going to change anything for them. They'll be able to just like break us off a mill, chuck us a few racks and then we'll have a budget. Then we'll be able to like get some proper cameras, get some proper equipment, pay the reluctant Uranus boys to come <laughs> be, and be in the documentary. I'm also thinking we could use it as a way to like fly first class to Australia on the, uh, <laughs> to, to interview little smithy but basically we'll just go we'll hang out with him for an afternoon and then spend the rest the rest of our time in the blue mountains with the hippies because um, you can you, awesome. you can fly to australia i'm not going to the land of everything wants to fucking eat you okay listen i was there for ages nothing at me it was fine i mean yeah but I my brother you... lived there for a year nothing at him stacy and ash lived there for two years nothing at them yeah i don't know how they survived i mean you You'd you'd be the, you'd be left on the buffet at a cannibal fucking ball. But... I'm repulsive, unlovable, and unbiteable, so uh, I'm, I'm all right. I mean, yeah, pretty much. So <laughs> that's how comes you didn't get in. Your brother's intimidating, so he probably just like fucking glared at the spiders and the dingoes and the natives and the. the... That's funny, people. Dingoes are nice. No, they they all you go to Australia, right? You go into the fucking airport. You get off the airport. You have to fend off packs of wild dogs and rabid kangaroos who are trying to disembowel you there on the tarmac. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me just quickly check the analytics. See if we've got any listeners in Australia. 
No, because we've all been fucking we eaten. <laughs> Feel free to continue your answer. You can't get podcasts over there. Do you know why? Because spiders have eaten all the undersea cables that would relay the internet over there. They're all on fucking 4G. So they can't waste their valuable 4G minutes downloading podcasts because they need it to watch YouTube videos on how to suck the venom out of their own legs. Listen, as somebody that's actually been to the country, you know, there's, there's a space monkey that would be really upset with you about slagging things off when you have absolutely no idea about them. You know that. Uh, shout out to him. Play nice, Stephen. Shout out to him. <laughs> I am playing nice. I'm just, I'm just, because I made a joke about you doing it the other day, and he said he didn't, he didn't notice it. So I'm just like highlighting it now. Um, <laughs> as someone that's actually been to the glorious country, I can tell you that it, it's a, it's incredible, it's an incredible place, and uh, I think I'd actually live a better life there than I do currently in England. So I mean, we all know that Australia doesn't really exist. It's a hoax. Oh, no, you're not a flat earther as well, are you? <laughs> yeah, the earth, it is flat, because when I look out of my window, I can't see no ball. It is all flat, because if it was rounded, we would all slide off of the edge. Oh, my God, it's not brain surgery. <laughs> I know what to no, say. I'm not a flat earther, okay? <laughs> I spent the entire time trying to think of a joke. And I <laughs> Yeah, just, don't get me start. Don't get me started on flat earthers, because um, like, no. <laughs> can can we just rewind a bit? The entire consensus this consensus this week behind the scenes was how do we make a better pod? Maybe we don't put off new listeners. Maybe we don't like make them sit through half an hour of nonsense. So now we're just gonna make them sit through anti-Australia rants. I, I, I will right? come out. I will. I'll come out right now, and I will say, if you are a flat earther, I don't want you listening to my podcast. If you are an anti-vaxxer, I don't want you listening to my podcast. So, you know, I'm just putting that out there right now. I don't care how many lose, how many losers, how many um, listeners that loses us. Those people are too dumb. They wouldn't. They're, they're, I would use a word over three syllables and their heads would explode because they just they're so dumb. They can't handle that. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but literally everyone has just left the WhatsApp group. <laughs> Like, I know I'm in. I've been in a bad place for a couple of days, but like you are single-handedly trying to run this podcast into the ground. <laughs> it's, it's 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 amusing. Um. So uh, yeah, the uh, Uranus boys. Yeah. Anyway, I was yeah back to that. <laughs> that's, that's where we were at. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I totally forgot I was trying to pitch a documentary. Um, yeah, so once we've got this Netflix money, we'll be able to throw a few racks at the uh, reluctant Uranus boys, get them on camera. I and mean, I'm thinking like six part documentary series. Oh. I think we could do it. Six like half hour episodes, proper serious documentary. I'm also thinking we could like throw a few racks at a psychologist and get them to <laughs> once the Uranus boys. <laughs> Boys have been interviewed by. I'm thinking we'll get Stacey to do the interviews because you're in part like you're not you're biased because you love it yeah. and we need someone to crack to the bottom of it, really get inside why people felt the need to do this. And uh, I can't be anywhere near the camera because I'm repulsive. If we've got I'm, if, I'm if we've got that sort of you know if we get in some of that Netflix money, um, can't we just get Louis Thoreau on to do the interviews? No, like I I know a mill is a lot of money. 
but like once we've paid production costs and I feel we're going to have to throw more than probably a couple of racks again, some of the Uranus boys to come on camera. <laughs> Get a decent psychologist that's really going to tell us what's what's wrong with you lot and why you felt the need to do it. Like, Just get a psychology student. I've watched Community. I know that'll work. <laughs> anyway, like, the getting the word out, I think, will come from, like, we'll open the opening credits will be, like, a talking to the joy is gone film in association with Netflix. Touching Films presents <laughs> the Uranus Boys. Why? What the fuck? What happened? And I think, yeah, I think everybody that watches it will see that and they'll be like, oh, what's Talking to the Joys gone? And then they'll Google it and then they'll find a podcast. And then and got they'll find this and then they'll listen to it and they'll be like, fuck no. <laughs> and then because like, and then that will draw, drive people towards us, which will make our marquee value just increase, which means Netflix will be like, yeah, them, them two are cool. We quite <laughs> like them. And then, so we'll start doing like, they'll be like, oh, do you know what I saw? Like, you don't listen to podcasts, but I do. And it's 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 not just on podcast anymore. They do it everywhere. I've noticed. Like, you know full well that when someone's like, "Oh, do you know what I discovered this week?" and I've been watching all week. Kicking. It's really good. Um, you've you've unplugged your microphone. I think. I hear we got someone for the thirteen circle of hell. I'm just gonna give up on this whole fucking documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that yeah. Okay. Where we were going to spend some of our, our Netflix cash trying to like bribe police into telling us which of the Uranus boys went on to have like a psychosexual deviant criminal history. I thought that could I mean, be funny. I think, I think we may spend an awful lot of time fabricating things that happened in the Uranus boys community, considering uh, unless there was an awful lot that went on that I didn't know about. Um, I just it's going to be a really to the short documentary. I just want to get to the bottom of what drove you people to 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 debase yourself. I'll, te- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what did it. Right. It was, it was the it, same thing. It's about. It's about getting attention. And I yeah. just I want to understand the psychology behind that. It, it was the I same think. thing that drives that drives most men to do most stupid things that get them in trouble. Um, some, no, no. Somebody said it was a good idea, um, and. Before we, uh, you know, before we actually agreed to do it, we didn't have a wank. What we needed to do is go away, have a wank, and then we'd have gone, no, that's ridiculous. But none yeah. of us did. We all just went, yeah, okay, here's some pictures of me posing in my underpants. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and then they went up on social media, and we all thought it was jolly funny. <laughs> I mean, there is a rumour, there is a rumour, ladies and gentlemen, that one of the Uranus boys wasn't even a boy really i've not heard this rumor have you not heard this rumor no we could this could be a whole episode this could be like episode three or something of the the yeah there were questions around pedro as to whether you know he claimed to be a a builder from mexico but you know where did he come from where did he go he was a bit like cotton eye joe um (laughs) and we're not convinced we're not convinced, Pedro. We're not convinced. There, there, rumors circulate to this day, and there's no smoke without fire, Pedro. It, we're on to you. Is, Episode three. <laughs> shit, shit's starting to come back to me a bit. Is Pedro one of the space monkeys? No, no, no. It's not Willock. No, no. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Pedro. 
seriously, I did the whole, where did he come from? Where did he go? He was a bit like Cotton Eye Joe. Remember, we did that whole segment about about 15 seconds ago. We don't know where where he came from or where he went. If it was on the Space Monkeys, I'd have just said, Willock's not actually a man. He has a a mangina. But um, I didn't because, yeah. (laughs) Willock has man parts. Big up, Willock, by the way. Good luck on your Quinn smoking. I'll name that. It's important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I didn't realize anyone still smoked, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you haven't come out of your house in four months because you're terrified. So I was I was literally in Iceland this morning <laughs> before we recorded this. I had to go out and buy food. <laughs> I, see, this might, this might explain why you don't like Jamie Oliver. The fact that, like, your diet consists of going, your, your weekly shop consists of going to Iceland. Like, when was the yeah. last time you ate? Anything that was like fresh or grown naturally and not frozen? Um, never. Yeah, you're missing out. There's a whole, there's a whole plethora of like delicious things. I have, I've I've tried stuff like that and I don't like it. It's like you go somewhere and you're like, ah, yes, the quail is particularly good today. And I'm like, quail, I like a bit of quail. I'll have that. It comes up, you get like half a mouthful of quail and then 43 different varieties of spring fucking grass. It's like, what's all this green shit on my plate? Oh, that is a spring salad, sir. It's like, but I didn't order a salad with a side of quail. I ordered fucking quail. Where it's do like, you eat that serves I quail? I don't. I don't eat out in posh places very often, but um, I do like quail. I did have. I had quail uh, the I other year. I've never eaten quail, to be honest. It's to be honest. It's it's nice, but it's a lot of fucking about. It's a oh, real yeah. pain in the ass to cook, and then it's you're picking bits of meat off of the bird and yeah no, it's a lot of messing about it's a bit like pigeon right there's not a lot of meat yeah yeah i've not yeah. i've not had pigeon. pigeon quail eggs pigeon. are nice what quail eggs quail eggs are nice because oh, yeah, they're, they're like mini egg size and they're, 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 like they're nice I'm really oh yeah Amazing. apologies to any vegetarians or vegans listening to this but we are now salivating over eating dead yeah. animals we <laughs> should do a um we should do a food podcast and basically it'll just be you'll, you'll be like this week in iceland i bought <laughs> and then to balance it out i'll be like this week i got some fresh ingredients and i cook this and then we could taste do taste tests and then i can't yeah, i can't cook i not only can i not cook i don't enjoy cooking so for I me it's just a burden that i like to get out of the way as quick as possible so that i can eat and get on with my life so i, enjoy, I find cooking really relaxing Oh, it stresses me out. You know Hate what it. I've got into in the past the past few weeks? Smoking. Um, Italian BDSM. No, I, I did get into I did have a phase of about two days where I was watching lots of Wonder Woman BDSM. Um, <laughs> Fuck me, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> just, just type Wonder Woman into, into Pornhub and... Uh, <laughs> There are some uh, high budget Wonder I Woman. I mean, we've all done it for, for for Harley Quinn, but I never thought of doing it for Wonder Woman. Um, I'm just waiting until we cover Supergirl and then. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was thinking, like, if it's never going to happen because I'm repulsive and unlovable. But like, if a girl ever did take notice of me again, there would definitely be some Wonder Woman role play going on. This is going to a dark place quickly. <laughs> Just we're already talking about like role play and porn and <laughs> I, I have some bits here. Um I have a nomination for the thirteenth circle because well I was I was laying in bed this morning. Oh, is uh, it people as... that I know it is, is it the people you've been rallying against all week on Facebook? 
Yes. No. Yes, it is. No. If anyone's followed me on Facebook, you've had a spoiler of this. I was, well, the last night, right? I, the last couple of nights I've had shit night sleep, which is why I'm dosed up on fucking um, stupid amounts of overly strong tea at the moment to keep my eyes open. Um, and I've laid there into the early hours of the morning listening to small dick motherfuckers with unnecessarily loud vehicles just driving up and down fucking dual carriageways at high speed. And this is not like, now, I can understand Where it. Where is there a dual carriageway near your house? No, that's the thing. It isn't near my house. The nearest dual carriageway is about a mile and a half away. Um, and then you get out, you're heading out towards the edge of town. If you're going over to uh, the industrial estate up by oh, the old Glaxo site. Oh, Pinnacles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah, there's one over there. And there's that there's that national speed limit stretch of road there. And they just basically, they go from one roundabout. They floor it down that stretch around the other roundabout and back again. And you can hear them. And you hear no. the route. And they do no, this on can't. fucking repeat. You can. Because no, I listened to them last night. There's the no night way before, you can hear from that far away. You can. Honestly. I can't hear it. Well, uh, Steve, you stood in front of your guitar stack for how many years? <laughs> okay, It's a wonder you can hear anything. <laughs> I'm only deaf in one ear. And funnily enough, I'm, I'm deaf in the, uh, the side that Dow used to stand on on stage. So it's yeah. not you that destroyed my hearing. It, it's Dow that did it. But yeah. either way. Um, I'm the person that had to be louder than everybody else, but also wear <laughs> earplugs at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was stupid. Jesus. Yeah. He's not um, lost on me that he made the rest of us deaf and he's got perfect hearing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, I, and then this morning, what, what really did it is I hadn't even thought of putting him into the 13th circle because I just hadn't. And then this morning I was laying there, I was thinking about the podcast um, and I heard one of them at fucking five to seven this morning. One of them drove past my house with his engine. Somebody had like, the audacity to drive past your house in the morning. It just takes a piss. Really does. I really thought this was going to be a rant about people that don't wear masks. Oh, no, no. that That's that's way too political. This is far safer. So if you have a vehicle, a motorized vehicle of any kind that has an unnecessarily loud engine and or exhaust, um, enjoy dying because you'll be going straight to the 13th level of hell. The 13th circle of hell, sorry. Lou keeps, Lou's um, got me saying the wrong thing now. Um, yeah. The 13th circle of hell, where I will tum- torment you for all eternity by fitting giant exhaust stacks into your ears and revving 2,000 BHP engines into your brain for eternity. I thought we both had to agree. I thought this was a, this was a debate and not just you just rallying against something and then demon them hell worthy. Um, excuse me, put I your don't... hands up if you're God in this analogy. Oh, no, yep, just me then. Okay. <laughs> I think we all get one free pass, and that's okay. my free pass. I'm going to use my my one free pass to uh, to put anybody that talks at the cinema into the 13th circle of hell. Oh, God, yes. Because if I pay for the nose to go and see something, I want to watch it. I don't want to hear you chatting. It's just bullshit. If you want to chat, wait till, wait till the film comes out on DVD. Buy it. It'll be cheaper than a cinema <laughs> ticket. Watch it at home. Talk all the way through it. Talk all the fuck you want. Yeah. The worst Bite thing is when they go in there. Not in the cinema. They'll be cheaper. <laughs> Basically, it's just a much better, more efficient, money-saving way of doing it. And you don't ruin my my experience. And you don't have to spend cinema. eternity in, in hell. In yeah. our special circle of hell. 
the worst the one that really gets me is right when you go in there and you sit in there and i can understand it sort of if someone's like oh is that so and so oh they're doing that because in this film they did that something about what's hap- happening or happened on screen but when they yeah. go in there and they're talking about I don't know, a fucking car or where they went shopping at the weekend it's like yeah. Have you seriously just paid, like, uh, you know, have you remortgaged your house to come and see this film, to sit here and have a chat with your friend in in stage whispers about the fucking fish fingers you bought yesterday? What is wrong with you? The same as the people that halfway through a film decide to get their phone out and illuminate one one (laughs) part of my eyesight. Like, are you, is that what humanity's come to? We're so obsessed with our phones, we can't put them down. Or in our pocket on silent for two hours. Do you really need to check your Facebook halfway through the film? Whatever (laughs) happened will still be there in an hour when you get out. Dickhead. Yeah. (laughs) So there we go. There's our nominations for the 13th Circle this week. Um, Just I want to do a couple of quick reminders. One for Book Club, which I know um, the, the estate of Terry Pratchett has over the last couple of weeks received something of a boost from people buying this book. Because uh, I know of at least four people that have bought it because of this, because of this episode and our prompting. Um, Even one that um, bought the graphic novel by mistake and then had to go yeah. and buy the novel. Yeah. I mean, somebody ha- somebody bought both of them because yeah. um, reasons. <laughs> because... Although when you finish reading that, Steve, I do want to borrow it because it, it, it looks quite good. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's too easy to buy things on Amazon. It's just too easy to click one button and then you've got it without really looking into what it is. Without actually got, paying attention. Yeah, if it's got the right title and the, and the right author and then and you press buy now, then it's done before you can even... <laughs> what, what kind of fucking idiot would do that? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never done that for a, an episode where I bought the wrong fucking film that came out 20 odd years after the one I actually wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and I still haven't watched that. Um, so yeah, book club. When are we recording the book club episode? When do we need submissions in by? Uh, the fifth of August. So August. the twelfth will be recording. Well, so, it'll be released on the twelfth. We released on the twelfth. Uh, if you want to get your notes, thoughts, essays, questions, or whatever into us for us to discuss on the episode, they need to be with us on one of our social medias or our emails by the fifth of August. And as a refresher for anyone that hasn't already got these memorized and tattooed onto the back of their hands, uh, Instagram is talk.until.the.joy.podcast. <laughs> Steve shakes his head every time I have to read that out. Uh, Twitter is at Tutjig, which is T-U-T-J-I-G. Facebook, Talk Until the Joy is Gone. Email, talk.until at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on YouTube. Just search Talk Until the Joy is Gone. And we have our own subreddit, which is Touching Podcast. So send your questions, thoughts or whatever over to one of those. We will read them, ingest them and regurgitate them for your enjoyment. <laughs> I, I appreciate your your organized nature, your self-promotional skills and all that. <laughs> Let's face it. It's going to be the same for people. Same five people <laughs> to get in touch between now and next week. So, what's the fucking point? Like, just <laughs> one day, Steve. One day, somebody completely out of the blue will reach out to us and go, "Hey, I read the book for your thing. Here are my thoughts on this novel." One day, it's going to happen. Keep the faith, man. Keep uh... the faith. <laughs> um, the other quick reminder was about our hundred listeners uh, win a free T-shirt competition. 
yeah. Uh, on this, can we just call it a day and give the only two people that joined in t-shirts? Well, yeah. At the moment, we've had three entries from two people. So, um, yeah. Anyone else that enters right now? You've got one week. Really, you, you've got like a week. No, I'm putting um, my foot down because this is fucking embarrassing. It's <laughs> embarrassing that we're we're like shouting and we've got hundred people to listen, and, and it's embarrassing that, like, quite frankly, only two people bothered to get involved, and one of them's like engaged to you. And probably course, did it in your behest. So, of course, it, it, it's only embarrassing to us because if you hadn't announced that just then, um, the other listeners may have got these these hundred. Well, actually, it's it's nearly two hundred listeners now, oh, isn't it? Or, no, no, it's over two hundred now. The, the two hundred listeners we have would have been going, oh, oh, lots of people are uh, sending stuff in because you know I was going to ham it up and say, you know, no, no they don't care. <laughs> My God, they don't give a fuck. They honestly, they don't. My cornflakes, damn it! Two weeks we've been trying to do this. Two weeks. <laughs> no one gives a fuck. It's really, really quite embarrassing. And upsetting. I just like you've got. I'm putting my foot down. I love you, Rooney, and I will back and support all your future ideas. But on this one, I'll put my foot down. You've got till next week. We're putting our name out of the hat on next week's episode. Next week's episode. So you've got, you've got. Well, you've got. When you call Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So if you care and you want to get involved and you want a t-shirt and you actually <laughs> do give a fuck, get involved. If not, miss out and we'll just give the I've two. Added, I've added new t-shirts. They're both know. male and female in a variety of colours. It's not for you. I know you know because you've seen the listings. <laughs> this is for the people listening that might go, oh, well, I wasn't interested in any of his old in the previous ones. But now we wait. Now he has one in Tutjig Orange. I'm all over that. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I, used to have this, I used to have this orange T-shirt. It was an Oasis one. I think we got it at Finsbury Park. Do you remember? It was yeah, I remember that T-shirt. The hilarious, most migraine-inducing T-shirt I've ever seen. And I wore it proudly for about two years before I realised yeah. that it was just terrible. I, I never used to wear colours like that um, until I bought uh, a hoodie a couple of years ago. It's my X-Wing pilot hoodie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is in that garish orange colour. And, uh, yeah, I fucking love it. And I think that, well, that and the fact that I've been watching a lot of Dragon Ball recently really quite heavily influenced the colour scheme, (laughs) my choice of colour scheme for our logo. (laughs) I think I'm going to have to introduce colour into my my wardrobe a bit more because since I've been back at work, there have been many, many, many comments of, oh, I see you're dressed all in black again. Oh, yeah, well, see, I... one day I wore a blue T-shirt and everyone was like, wow, colour. So, yeah. I get that. Oh, my God. I, I Well, I normally, my, my wardrobe is fairly monochrome anyway because black and white are classics. You can't go wrong. No. And I introduced a little bit of colour and I walk, across, I walk through the office at work and everyone's like, oh, well, that's nice. That's a nice shirt. And I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's nice to see you in something other than black. And it's just like, seriously, people, what the hell? I don't comment on your clothes. Yeah. Barbara, with your fucking shawl in the summer. What's wrong with you? Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, it doesn't get me. Like, I'm a goth. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I got goth tendencies. Like, just just leave me to it. I just like wearing black. Just leave me be. We yeah. just we're both sat here today, both in our black t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just that's, it's the way it is. Like, get with the program. I like black. I like it's it's slimming. And when you yes. got body dysmorphia, every little every little helps. 
it's it's slimming. And when you've got moves, every little helps. Yes. <laughs> when, when you can't quite drag yourself to go out and join a gym, just wear mm-hmm. black. Before we get into this week's subject, um, we're doing this. We're trying this thing now where we tell you what we're going to watch next, and so yes. you can watch it. Yeah, we're doing Sin City next week. So get on some of that, Robert Rodriguez, Frank Miller, genius. Something else. I've got to try and. Have I got a copy of that? I think I do. <laughs> I had a copy, couldn't find it, so I got one on Amazon for two pound seventy four. It should arrive today. So um, <laughs> you sure it's the right talk. one this time? Oh, it should be. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, I can drop it off to you during the week. Alright. I'll see if I, I did have a copy of it somewhere, but yeah. Okay, so Sin City for next week, peoples. Again, as with the, the book club episode, if anyone wants to reach out of us with comments or thoughts on, on it, then uh, yeah. yeah, seeing as we're do doing so. this whole we're trying this new thing where we tell you a week before. Yeah, if during if between well, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you want to tell us your thoughts on Sin City, then we will read them out on the pod. It'll be yep. A nice, easy way to generate content. Yeah, we will engage with them. Um, so anyway, on to this week's episode, which is Alien. Yeah. Um, something of a cinematic classic. Um, it is. And before we go any further, mm. I'd like to say that mum, like on this pod, a lot of the episodes, we've been going back and watching things that we haven't seen for years. Yeah. And this is another one for me that I haven't seen in years. And uh, I had better memories. It <laughs> like Watching it this time, it wasn't as exciting or enjoyable as watching like, no, Terminator or The Predator. Like, I had good memories of this film, and then I watched it, and I was like... Oh. Yeah, some of it hasn't aged very well. And I think it's it's one of those films that works really well the first time you watch it, but now everyone knows not just the gist of it, but they know all the twists and the turns and everything. So it's, it's kind of, there's one just rehashing something you already know in a way. There's the obvious, there's the obvious scene, which is like, everybody knows, like whether (laughs) you've seen the film or not, everybody's seen some version of that scene played out somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. So the the highlight of the film that you probably get from watching it the first time has kind of been ruined over the past, what, 30 years or whatever it is. Because yeah, it's been done, it's to, been death. done to death. Well, I have I have my trivia on this. This is good. Released 1979 uh, on the 25th of May in the US and the 6th of September in the UK. That's that some bullshit. Yeah, some bullshit that wouldn't fly these days because oh god no, because um, it'd, it'd be on the internet. By the 26th of May, it'd be on the internet, and everyone, <laughs> everyone in England that wanted to see it would have already seen it. Yeah. Um, it had a budget of 11 million. Originally, it was significantly lower than that. It was four point something originally. But uh, Ridley Scott's storyboard, whilst they, he was waiting for the budget to be officially signed off, impressed uh, 20th Century Fox so much that they um, basically increased, uh, doubled the budget and then it increased again a little later in production, taking it up to 11 million. At the box office, it made 203.6 million. Fucking hell. <laughs> like, it's crazy because yeah, it's like, silly money. We were like, oh, Predator did well. It made like 60 million, but this made like 190 million more. 
Yeah. That it's, budget. it's ridiculous. Like, it's craziness. It's, it really is. Like, Ridley Scott could probably have retired after this film, basically, and just let the franchise just roll out as it has done and just lived off of the royalties. As a complete aside from this film and the trivia and everything else, lately I've, I've, I've heard from various different people the same thing, the same one sentence that really, really, really pisses me off, and that's, I don't like footballers. They earn too much money, which is, which I understand. They do earn a shitload of money, but first and foremost, that they only get paid that money because that money's there because the sport and the business generates that money, which they are part of, and they are, so, you know, they make that money, they get it. It's absolutely fair. But the thing that really annoys me is absolutely nobody says I don't like Tom Cruise. He gets paid ten million to do three months' work, or I don't like Ben <laughs> Affleck. He gets paid twelve million per film. Like you know what I mean? These people do like three or four months' work and get paid tens of millions to do it. And then, like a footballer who has to like sacrifice a hell of a lot, gets like six weeks' holiday per year. You know what I mean? Has to travel over the country, leave their families. Like they don't deserve to make some cash. No, fucking jealous pricks. <laughs> anyway, back to the film. Back to the film, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> directed by Ridley Scott, written by Dan O'Bannon, based on a story by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce his name, so I didn't bother looking it up, because um, it's literally only mentioned once in this entire episode. <laughs> um, it was premiered at the opening night of the fourth Seattle International Film Festival. Ooh. Just I, I do that in there because I was like, oh, that's different. Um, yeah, it won well, a bunch I've of never awards. Heard of the Seattle Film Festival before, so neither have I. But I don't know if it made it much past four years. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's because we don't live in Seattle. Maybe if we did, it would be a big thing in our social calendar. Yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I can judge other people's success when we've been doing this podcast for four years. Yeah, wait until we get to uh, yeah. <laughs> premiere on the opening night of a of a podcast festival, then we can judge. <laughs> It won a bunch of awards, uh, which includes an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, yeah. three Saturn Awards for Best Science Fiction Film, Best Direction, and Best Supporting Actress, and a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Um, I'm guessing Sigourney won the award for Best Supporting Actress, right? Uh, no, it was What's Her Chops, the one who plays uh, Lambert, who does nothing but bitch, moan, and cry throughout the entire film. Okay, I was, I was going to say that's good because Sigourney's not a, not the supporting actress, is she? No, she's she, like, she yeah. is the protagonist. She's the she's the star of the film. But yeah, I don't, I don't know why, because that woman doesn't do anything except annoy me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, in 2002, this film was deemed culturally, his, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was preserved by the U.S. National Film Registry. Yes, I've heard of this. I actually know what this is. Mm. somebody that i swore not to talk about got a film in there so which is how i know about it um <laughs> that's pretty good because they, they only take a select amount of films every year like yeah it's like 10 to 20 that they put into this hall of fame so, or whatever they call it so that they can go down in history and that like hundreds of years in the future this library will still be there for people yeah to they're, they're preserved for all yeah. time um this 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 one came completely out of left field. The laser lights used in the egg chamber scene oh, yeah. uh, on the space jockey ship 
were borrowed from The Who. Really? <laughs> the Who were testing their stage show with all their lighting rig in the sound stage next door to where yeah. this the film was being shot. Um, and uh, yeah, one of them, one of the, 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 the crew saw the lights and was like, that's what we need. So they went and they spoke to The Who and they borrowed <laughs> the laser lights for that scene, which yeah, is yeah. like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah that's one of those weird sort of coincidences that you you just couldn't make up sort of thing <laughs> yeah because i know they they filmed at elstree a lot mm. they filmed a lot of it at elstree so the who must have been like well, yeah we're just going to hire out this soundstage just to check our lights well, it's crazy yeah, I mean, right the late late 70s the who were just like the biggest band in the world so they could yeah. they could do that you know <laughs> i mean especially when you consider at the time that uh you had this film in there um you had Apparently, The Who uh, yeah. testing their stage show and Empire Strikes Back as well. Yeah, I was going to say, you, yeah, being you were filmed there. Uh, um, Jesus, that was, that, a, that, that was like a moment in time where everything that was about to ha- like go crazy in the world was all mm. in one tiny place. I can you imagine really? just like wandering around Elstree Studios uh, at that, you know, that time? Yeah, <laughs> just be like, hi, Ridley. Oh, hi, George. Hi, Pete. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to talk to the other one. Talk to Roger. Yeah, I'll talk to. Yeah, I'll be like, all right, Rog, what are you still doing, Roger. hanging out with this with this degenerate? Roger, Roger Daltrey does the hoovering. That's an that's an obscure reference. If anyone gets that, let me know, and I'll send you a fucking t-shirt. Amy, you don't count. Um, You're going to be sending out lots and lots of t-shirts soon. Uh, I don't think so. Um, so. The scene with Jonesy the cat hissing at the alien, you know, where Brett gets yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, killed. Um, they got the cat to hiss like that um, by having uh, a German shepherd off screen, uh, okay, just out, yeah. off, out of shot behind a, a, a screen. And when they needed to get that reaction, they put the cat there and then they lifted the screen up. And that's why the, the, the cat starts going mental because he thinks he's about to get eaten by a fucking giant Alsatian. <laughs> Which is what caused that, which I thought was, well, not a particularly pleasant way to do it, but cats are arseholes, so I don't care. Um, I love all animals, but I can't sound very fond of cats, no. no. I've never got cat people. I've no, never got that lo- love of cats. I'm, I'm much more of a dog man. Um, which, is, which is strange, because I am pretty much like a cat. <laughs> like, could dogs... You're more of a dog person. You're more of a like, come on, let's do stuff. Entertain me. Let's go. Let's have fun. <laughs> and I'm much more of a, look, just stay away. Just let me do my own thing. Stay away. Yeah, leave yeah. me alone. Just going to, yeah, just, just want to do my own thing. I don't need you. Go away. Yeah. And that's very much more like cats, right? Yeah. And that's, yeah. That, maybe that's why you don't like them. You're too, too much alike. Yeah. <laughs> too similar. Um, the dead face hugger that gets autopsied by Ash um, yeah. was made. The, the, the inside, all of its yeah. gooey bits Looks were like made of, uh, they were fresh shellfish, oh, okay. four oysters, and a sheep's kidney. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, it, looked, it definitely looked a bit offalish, to be fair. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a, an interesting selection of, of stuff. Um, Would you eat offal? Get back to our new, our new uh, Cook Until the Joy is Gone cook podcast. Until the we're Joy do. is Gone. Um, <laughs> Are you going to do... Um, would you eat offal? Because I can't. I don't know. It would depend. I, I, I'd try it. If it tasted nice, then yes, I would probably eat it again. 
Uh, I, I'm not interested really in where things have come from. I'm, I'm all about how good they taste. See, I'm. That's why I eat that ass. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Because <laughs> 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 apparently that's a thing that the internet does. It loves eating mm-hmm. ass and. Coming yeah. to all Rooney's degenerate channels, the arse eating escapades. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can't. I, I have a real horrible thing. Like, I have to. I have to not see what it is first. Like, I don't like fish anyway, but I couldn't eat a fish with a head on because it looks like what it is. Like, I've seen people like roast the whole pig and leave the head on, and that's I'm just like, oh yeah. But the minute it comes to me in a plastic packaging and it doesn't look <laughs> like what it should be, I can kind of mentally readjust and be like, oh, that's all right, I can eat that. But yeah, I I do have probably 50-50 vegetarian kind of diet, but yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. Back to the trivia. Back to the trivia. On to your favourite bet, alternate casting options. Oh, this is my favourite bet. Now, I, I struggled to find any for this, so either there weren't any or they just haven't recorded it anywhere or shared it with anyone, but I did manage to find some. Um, the first one I think would have worked really well, but given what we just said about Empire being filmed at the same time, yeah. Um, Harrison Ford turned down the role of Dallas. Okay. And I think he would have done really well in the role of Dallas, but obviously at the time he was off being a scoundrel. And getting I think I've got a off. point. I've got a point to make later, and I think, yeah, I'd, I'm not. Yeah, carry on. We'll get to it. <laughs> We're going to get to that point because linear notes drink. Um, the role of Ellen Ripley came down to two actresses. Um, it was Sigourney Weaver, yeah, and of all people, Meryl Streep. Really, Meryl? Meryl Streep. I don't. But to be fair, I I don't know what Meryl Streep was was like in 1979. But the Meryl Streep I have in well, my head doesn't look like somebody that could fight. No, exactly. Well, I said this uh, when I discovered this. Uh, I was doing this research yesterday, and I discussed this with Amy. I said, "Yeah, it was between Sigourney and Meryl Bloody Streep," and she was like. Oh no! Back then, Meryl Streep. Yeah, I can see that. So, apparently, it would have worked, according to Amy. Okay. There we go. Um, the only I reason, suppose. yeah, the only reason Streep uh, basically dropped out, well, was dropped out of the running, is because uh, she was in mourning for her partner who had recently died. Oh, fair so enough. So they were like, "We won't do that. We'll go with uh, our, our other option." Um, another so link. If that person hadn't have died, Sigourney Weaver may not be the icon she is today. Yeah, because this was the film that kicked off her, her yeah. film career. So first starring role. Um, another link back to Empire. Uh, Peter Mayhew was considered for the part of the alien. Yeah, I can see that. But, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it went to... Um, I think the guy's Brazilian. I'm, I'm going to mangle this uh, name. Balaji Badejo, Badejo um, who, try as I might, he has disappeared into obscurity. He literally did play the alien in this film. No one had heard of him before and no one had heard of him since. And yeah, um, obviously Peter Mayhew couldn't do it because he was being a big walking carpet at the time. And this one is kind of ambiguous. We know it happened, but I don't know what for. Dame Helen Mirren, bless her soul, auctioned for a role in... uh, Auctioned? 
She didn't fucking auction. That's not what you do when you're looking for. She auditioned. She auditioned for a role in this film. But I don't know what. And I haven't been able to find out what. So if anyone does know that, you know, you know, Ridley, if you're if you're listening to this, reach out to us. Um, <laughs> I'd just like, I like to point out, contrary to popular belief, my name's Steve. I play the idiot. <laughs> um, I like for the role of Parker because um, I would love to see Dame Helen Millen being a, a grouchy, underpaid engineer on a starship. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be pretty fucking cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, this is an interesting one, and. Um, after reading this and then watching the film back, I was like, yeah, no, I don't know how I didn't notice that before. The Xenomorph only has four minutes of screen time yeah. in the whole film. And it doesn't appear until, uh, depending on which cut of the film you're watching, about an hour into the film. 54 minutes on the there one I, uh, I rented off Sky. Is that the cinematic release or the 2003 director's cut? I imagine it's the cinematic release. Yeah, I, that's had, why I, I went for that one rather than the later one. It had the... Um, a really old timey uh, 20th century fox. Yeah. The I love that yeah. Um, the original cut of the movie could have been uh, palmed off as a touch jig episode because it was three hours and 12 minutes long. Fucking hell. It was so bloody and gory that the uh, initial negative reactions from test screenings threatened to give the film an X rating, which would basically ensure that nobody ever saw it. Yeah. Um, so. They went back and they uh, cut it down to its, what is it, an hour and 35 or something? Hour and 25? There's, something like that. Again, I've got, got some notes on this, so we'll get to that as well. <laughs> um, and yeah, they removed most of the gore. There's barely any yeah. in it now. There's barely anything in there, is there? Yeah, it's, it's very, very timid when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, we love a little bit of handheld camera work on this uh, Yes, on this we pod. do. Yes, and we do. This film loves its handheld camera yeah. work. Uh, there, there are two... Well, first of all, all the handheld camera work was apparently done by Ridley Scott himself. Oh, really? He was the DOP sure. and director? Yep. He was in there to make sure he got the shots he wanted. He yeah. manhandled it. Um, the reason so much of it is done with a handheld camera is because there wasn't enough space to get the proper movie cameras with the dollars yeah, and the rails in there um, yeah. because the set was quite cramped and quite enclosed a lot of it yeah. actually is as it appears on screen it's not like one of those big open-sided ones where half of it's missing um so yeah to get the shots he wanted it had to be in their handheld which is uh, i say so growing up i always assumed that the their title director meant that you were actually had the camera and you were actually directing everything yourself <laughs> it was only later that i realized that no director means you sit and watch what's going on in the monitor you tell other people what to do yeah yeah. The director of photography is the one actually holding the camera. Yeah, but yeah, it, it does make sense that he was just like, nope, either I have a very certain vision of this film and I have the technical knowledge in order to put it off, so I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. And props to him for that. There's, a, there's another bit that I don't think I actually noted, but I read it yesterday. The, um, the When they're outside the ship heading to the space jockey ship, those, those scenes, you may have noticed, are particularly grainy and low quality and i think you've muted yourself again yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> um, they're particularly grainy and low quality and that's because they, they were filmed specifically on a um basically consumer grade camera oh okay so to, to to get that sort of 
because I really wanted that gritty, rubbishy gritty sort of. Yeah, he used a, a, a consumer grade camera, and then it was transferred over to sort of the the film for the actual recordings. Um, the, uh, this this one probably everyone already knows. The face hugger eggs were filled with real bits of animal. Uh, there were cattle cattle hearts and stomachs obtained uh, from a local butcher, um, and the the proboscis that it extends was made of sheep intestine. Uh, you stinky piece and it of was... awful. <laughs> Damn it, I was going to do that. <laughs> and yeah, they were controlled, basically. Uh, some parts, or quite a lot of the shots, apparently, of the eggs with all the bits moving inside. Uh, you had Ridley Scott in there wearing rubber gloves, actually moving the bits around, Yeah, which was quite cool. Um, in the drafts, drafts of the script, from some of the early drafts right the way through to the end, the character names changed a lot, apparently. Um, they all had completely different names originally and uh, Ridley Scott did not like them so they they changed uh, throughout filming well throughout revisions of the script until they settled on these ones that actually made it into the film and there was also a clause written in right at the start of the script that all of the characters were unisex so there was no gender specified for any character okay so basically they just said look read these lines we want you to have hit, read a bunch of lines, and they decided on, you know, as to whether it would be male or female, as to how much they liked the actor, rather than it being oh, we need a female for this role, we need a big black guy for this role, or whatever. It was all just kind of done on a far more organic, uh, far more organic way, and it's also the reason why in this film nobody refers to anyone by their first names. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling. Other than Ripley, obviously, I'm really struggling to. Oh, and Ash, Ripley and yeah. Ash are the only ones that I whose names I can actually remember. Um, Ripley, Ash, Dallas, Lambert, Brett, and Parker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I made a point of memorising them yesterday because I I refer to them several times throughout this. Uh, I, a, I've got a note here, but I think it's bullshit because I listened and I couldn't hear it. At the end of the movie. Wait for the credits to start rolling. Turn the volume yeah. up, and you can apparently hear the sound of one of the cryogenic pods opening. Now, no, I, I did this I twice didn't. last night. Yeah. I, I cranked the volume right up. I can't hear it, so I think that's bullshit. I'm pretty deaf, so I watch everything uh, like how shaking volume. And yeah, you and me that. both. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had it loud anyway, and I cranked it up, especially for that. Couldn't hear anything. My last trivia note is, uh, it's, again, totally out of the blue. Um Certain versions of the end credits yeah. feature a credit for the UK's Milk Marketing Board. <laughs> and this oh. is not because of the Android blood. Oh, which okay. was actually, That was milk. Um, but because the mesh flooring and certain sections of the wall of the Nostromo were made of UK milk crates turned upside down and painted. And they had to actually go to the source to yeah. get enough of them to make the set. So... But yeah, the milk marketing board got gets a credit on so only on certain versions Virgins. of it. Yeah, I um, didn't see that yeah. on, on Apple. <laughs> I actually listened. I actually watched the credits because I was trying to figure out what Mozart song plays during the film. Oh yeah, when Dallas yeah. is listening to it, the shuttle. I like Mozart, and I recognise it instantly as Mozart, but I I don't know song titles because yeah. they're not they're not cool like they are these days. Like they don't know, you know Nancy Boy or. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Black Parade or Been Training Dogs. They're all like, this is this instrument played in this key by this yeah. 
It's the yeah. key and the, the, the speed and all, all sorts of other musical nonsense that really doesn't stick in the mind. <laughs> yeah. But aside from saying, well, on my credits, aside from like the original score was by this person, they don't have that little bit they normally have in credits where they use, they give yeah. the different songs that have been used. Yeah. It's interesting, actually. I, I mentioned this later on, but you know, why not fuck up my linear notes already? Um, there's that. <laughs> The, the the scene right at the end where Ripley is getting ready to vent the alien out into space from the shuttle, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's singing "Lucky Star." Yeah, that was she improvised that um, during filming, um, and apparently they had to pay through the nose to get the rights to use for her to use oh, that really? song. They'd already filmed it. Ridley really liked it, and then the, uh, the 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 like legal department just kept bitching at him and complaining about how much they had to pay to get the rights just for her to sing that for like the, that little 30 second segment where it's not even playing the song it's just her singing the words to herself i bet um, no one gave a fuck once they were like oh we made over 200 million on this yeah yeah it doesn't but matter obviously at the time they, they didn't yeah. realize it was going to be this phenomena and spawn this huge fucking franchise, franchise yeah um, so now we're actually into the notes on the film the the opening sequence is it's such an iconic piece of cinema now just seeing that thing open up yeah that the, the, with the lines appearing that gradually spell it out but i don't even care that it's it's a boring as hell opening credits that goes on for like fucking two and a half minutes or something yeah. nothing happens the music is really low-key and you're just watching white lines slowly appear on a screen. <laughs> I, I kind of, I was watching it like, oh, Rooney's going to have something to say about this. Credits at the beginning, and they're really boring. But then <laughs> the way that they segue into the opening of the film, which is mm. pretty much the same. It's There's no dialogue for the first few minutes. It's just... Six minutes. Yeah, it's just music. And it all kind of, I, I feel like the credits almost act like a bit of a fade-in. Yeah, like it sets the tone for what's about to come. Mm. On like a modern day version of this would have been you see the ship like in a, in a establishing shot, and then you'd be inside and someone would be leaving their quarters and walking to the the very <laughs> first meeting where they find out that they've got to go and uh, they got this SOS and they'd be having some kind of pithy conversation, and then you'd <laughs> go straight into the meeting and then you'd be off. Like yeah. this is one. Of, this I got. A lot of my notes for the beginning of this film, or a lot of my notes in general, are basically about how slow and kind of how slow and how much time they spend on the first act when not much actually happens. Oh God, yeah. Like if you can compare it to like a modern day film, you'd be straight on the. You'd have five minutes and then you'd be off on the SOS call. But this, they spend so long kind of building tone and showing yeah. you waking up and all this other stuff going on and i'm just like oh my god the first act of this film it goes on forever like <laughs> i don't know what this three hour version would be like i don't know how like that'd be insane i feel like they to cut it down though they just basically left the entire first act the way it was and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do get the impression the that that was just it was just let's just leave that we'll just yeah. cut out bits of the alien <laughs> we'll, we'll cut out all the gore and all that stuff and then right at the end she'll like do what she does become the hero and then we'll just cut basically cut straight to credits she'll yeah. give like 12 lines of like <laughs> captain's log and then we'll just we'll just be out because that's it and we're off mm. all down the pub it's miller time <laughs> all right bear with me 
Ow, the dog wants to leave the room, so I've got to let her out. <laughs> woof, woof. So, uh, heads up, there's going to be, there's, there's quite a few references to Event Horizon in my notes, because, well. I'm not shocked. <laughs> they are, it's very similar. My, one, of my, one of my first notes here is that the Event Horizon was clearly built at the Nostromo School of Spaceship Building. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you yeah. look at them, it's like, yeah, okay, you uh, you rolled out of the same damn shipyard, didn't you? Um, big, bulky, kind of doesn't make any kind of over engineered. No, all yeah. the bits poking out, and yeah, um, it makes sense because you, know, you look at modern starships, they aren't slick and smooth, they aren't the Enterprise, they are far closer to, to the Lewis and Clark or the uh, the Nostromo than they are to the Enterprise. I've it's they are very. Is- so I've got a note that says, back in the day, people's idea of space travel in the future was quite archaic. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure Elon Musk has got a bit more flair. <laughs> yeah, fucking Wayland yutani never put a, a roadster up in orbit, did they? <laughs> Electric or otherwise. <laughs> right, I did want to, I've got a, a note about the, the set design for this yes. film. Um, and the, the set design for this film has probably influenced sci-fi Forever, film right? and tv sets more than anything else yeah, yeah i mean yeah, you yeah. look at you look watch any kind of hard sci-fi film and you can tick off the influences from this film specific i mean i've got a list of a couple of things that just while i was watching the film came into my head that this has directly influenced in in set design um battlestar galactica both yeah. versions the Absolutely. original the, the ships were you know, paler versions of, of the fucking Nostromo. Um, the new version, the interior set design is very similar, especially, I'm not sure what section it is of the Nostromo, but where they've got that central console with the monitors set up in the ceiling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so and big, that is, too, right? Yeah, that is just the the, the, the bridge from uh, the Galactica. Uh, yeah. Event Horizon, obviously. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Dick. Series. I don't know why that came into my head, but um, that was just like they've definitely influenced that. Looking at the starship designs in that, uh, and obviously Blade Runner. Oh yeah, another yeah, one, yeah. which is very much in this whole sort of era. Yeah, this era and this genre, and also this sort of like subgenre almost. Sorry, everyone. I just punched my microphone there, so the blow the uh, Ridley Scott subgenre. Yeah. Yeah. It's always that it's that that seventies slash eighties hard sci fi subgenre. This it's a very unique feel. It's a very certain feel, which is which is very unique to this certain type of film yeah. from that era by by a set you know, a set group of, of directors and, and filmmakers that you know, like your your bloody your alien and your your blade runner. Things like that, you know, they've got that very similar feel that they could almost be in the same universe. And it like uh, if you just compare it to a new hope which came out two years before like yeah their ships are bright like even when you're on the death star which is the death star yeah. like, it's bright and it looks nice and kind of everything's nice and then you get on on board the um what's it called the nostromo 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 and it's dark and everything looks greasy and dirty or oh, until yeah. you get to until you get into like the mother room where it's just blinking lights everywhere. That yeah, uh, that that mother little cocoon thing. It's a great piece of set design because it looks really good and 
like I say, it really is distinct from the rest of the ship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of like this secure inner sanctum. But it seems massively impractical because... Oh, absolutely. For the, fir- uh, look, you've, the first few things you see, he's just got these blinky lights and you're like, okay, it's like supposed to be a mainframe server room, that sort of look. And then when later on in the film, when Ripley and Ash are kicking off in there, yeah, you see some closer shots of the walls and they're all little indicators with writing underneath. So they all indicate yeah. a different... I assume a ship system or something. And it's like, but how the fuck would you manage that? Because they're all blinking on and off at random all <laughs> yeah, over the place. Constantly. Like, <laughs> it looks it's great, just, but like do uh, not get on this ship or go in that room if you have epilepsy because <laughs> it'll be game over. I think the rule of cool is very much at play in, in, oh, in yeah, that definitely. in that room, definitely. Um while while talking about mother actually, her and Hal from two thousand one Space Odyssey are clearly cut from the same circuit board oh, because yeah. <laughs> there are some very strong parallels there. <laughs> oh yeah, and more smoking on bloody spaceships. I know, right? I knew you as soon as I see it. I was like, Rooney's gonna gonna bring this one up. Oh, fuck's sake! What's wrong with these people? It's the pilot was smoking, and then the other guy is like smoking a cigarette and rolling another one at the same time. Yeah, the, yeah. the engineer guy. He's <laughs> like, yeah. right, right. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. for fuck's sake, stop it! <laughs> One of my one of my pet peeves, apparently. <laughs> you're wasting my air. Stop it. Uh, you were saying about the, um, the 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 space travel looking quite um, clunky and archaic. It's like the the the, the technology there. Uh, that it's it's that very retro portrayal. Well, not retro, but sort of that '80s portrayal of futuristic technology. Yeah, it's like lived in, gritty, kind of grimy. Yeah, of, like these people have been at space for a long, long time, and yeah, the ship's been like it's weathered a lot. I'm just like that compared to the Millennium Falcon, which doesn't look like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, even it's though again, of... it's an old ship and it's lived in, it just yeah. it it's cared for rather yeah, than yeah. just yeah, it just looks like it looks like they have a cleaner that pops in once a week and just like just spruces it, yeah. <laughs> I like the their the, the, the futuristic technology. It's like we're, we're expected to believe that they've mastered deep space travel and, you know, on-demand cryogenics, but they're still using clunky command line interfaces to talk to uh, the computer that apparently controls the ship. Yeah. And they're using low-resolution CRT monitors. <laughs> it's like there's not a flat screen to be seen. And there are all these tiny little yeah. green or black screens. It's like <laughs> so here's a question for you. The mother system obviously runs the ship, but the mm. ship belongs to the company. Yeah. So would the company have not pre-programmed mother to know what the actual mission is? Well, she does, doesn't she? Well, no, because when well, he's saying, the like, should we terminate the alien? It's saying, no, I've not got enough information. I don't yeah, know. Well, because, it, because it was uh, it was science officer eyes only, wasn't it? When Ripley oh, goes right. in and puts the command override, the emergency override in, it's revealed that it's special order 963 or whatever, science officer eyes only, because they'd replaced the science officer with the android. Yeah. Um, and it's that that's why Mother's just like insufficient data or whatever it is, can't can't advise you on that because she's been programmed. I love the way we've anthropomorphized this computer that doesn't even speak or have yeah. any physical <laughs> features just because it's called Mother. Um, she doesn't 
she's just like, no, I can't do that because she's been programmed not to reveal secrets about it. So at least that's the way I interpreted it. Okay, that does make sense to me. (laughs) I'll Um, I'll let you have that one. Having having supported and worked alongside um, teams of engineers for the last few years, I I can confirm, as you probably can as well, given your work history, that the stereotype of the grumpy engineer is not oh, yeah. just a trope or a stereotype. It is a real thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Parker and Brett are just they're just repping their their whole sort of <laughs> industry there in this film. Seeing as we're on them too, am I am I kind of looking at this with twenty twenty eyes? And seeing something that's quite abhorrent, or am I just kind of doing what everyone does on social media and just like getting <laughs> offended for no reason? Um, the scene where the guy threatens to take the guy's money if he doesn't investigate the SOS. Yeah, it's a bit cringy, right? It's a bit cringy that all the like the white people were like, "Yes, sir," and then the one black person in the crew is like, "Well, I ain't doing it, and I'm not unless you give me more money." <laughs> Like, um, all I care about is money, and I'm, I'm going to be the, as, I'm going to be the problem on the ship, and it's going to be me that's going to kick off. And it just seems a bit like, of all them different characters you've got on there, you couldn't be, you couldn't, you couldn't have just let a white person be the be the dick. You had to take the one black person <laughs> on the crew and make them look superficial. I don't know. I I, think, I, I felt just, fringed. I just interpreted that because. As they say a little bit before that, they're only getting a half share to everybody else. The engineers are only getting a half share to everybody else's full share of payment. Uh, clearly, I should have paid so, more attention. Yeah, because that, that, they moan about that. He mentions that twice that, you know, well, yeah. we, he says at the beginning, you know, we want to address the pay situation. We're only getting a half share, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then a little bit later, they have that conversation, and, and Ash points out that if you don't, you know, follow this, this yeah, you get no instructions, then you get no shares. Payment will be withheld by the company. So I actually okay, so just because they're, he, they're expecting him and Brett to go out and do the same work they are, but for half the money. Oh, so I truly did turn into your average Twitter user. Yeah, well done. Completely well, missed the well, point of everything that was going on because I was too well, busy well, getting Well, Twitter offended. got your back, fam. Yeah. <laughs> too busy getting offended to actually realise what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, the editor loves a dissolve. That's something that I noticed when they all right at the beginning, when like you first go into the room with all the pods in and yeah. the first guy wakes up. Oh yeah. It's just a succession of six shots that are just him in various different angles, sitting up dissolved from one into yeah. the other. I was like, Oh, <laughs> somebody found somebody invented to dissolve and somebody got really excited using it. But it's like one doing a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, the uh, we've we said about the handheld camera stuff. It works. There's, there's a couple of things that work really well around the both the, the cinematography, like with the handheld work um, and the sound design. On yes. this, especially in the first act of this, where they're they're basically establishing the the, 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 the establishing sections where they're they're building up the crew and the ship and all that sort of bullshit. Um, so you've got the old handheld camera, which works really well, particularly in this film, of putting us right in there. You yeah. really get the impression of how cramped the, the bridge yeah. and that is because you're right there in their face. And now we know it's Ridley Scott holding a bloody camera right in fucking yeah. um, Sigourney Weaver's face and things. Um, 
but that paired with the sound design. Now, the sound design on this, I watched um, the first 45 minutes or so of this with my headphones on because I was watching it um, up here in the studio. Um, and the sound design for this film, particularly in the first part, is absolutely phenomenal. It's really clever what they've done because you listen to a modern film. Yeah. And thanks to ADR and, and you know, improvements in sound stages and microphones and that, everything is perfect. It's crystal oh, oh, yeah. clear and it's all it's all perfectly timed and correct. It's perfect, basically, the audio. <laughs> the audio for this film, especially in the early scenes, is chaotic. Yeah. You sound like you're on the bridge because you're you're, you're there with them because there's, there's, they're overlapping, they're contradicting each other. It almost seems at random. It's at different volumes. Some of it you can't understand what they're saying. It's over here. It's over there. It's it's really a really clever more piece natural. of sound design. Yeah, yeah. yeah, much more natural than right. We're gonna like cut and paste everything and make sure everything's perfect and no one's talking over the other one. And yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's really good. I I just think sound wise. For the first act, at least, they really do use kind of the soundtrack and the mm. just the natural sounds to build tension and to build the oh. tone and everything else. And like, I do have I have a note that says I think this film misses a trick. They don't do enough in the first act to show the characters' personalities. Therefore, their deaths don't hit as hard later on. Because mm. like it wouldn't have taken much to kind of like take one of the women and one of the men and just kind of have them in a relationship and then have one lose another, lose the other one kind of like in the third act. Like there are, there are emotional beats that could be played out in that mm. third act. If you'd kind of let the characters have a bit more personality in the first act, because as the viewer, you, you would then become attached to them a lot yeah. more. And then when they died, you'd be like, Oh no. Whereas, because the first act of the film is very much about atmosphere and tone. Yeah. And it's very much like realistic in as much as it's like, no, they're really just like out there in space on this mission. Yeah. This has happened. And there's no it's doing this to get paid. <laughs> yeah. There's very, there's very little kind of, it feels very sterile. There's yeah. very little like personality coming from the actual actors and the characters. We said about um, what did they cut? from like the yeah, three hour version probably that, yeah they, they they did there was there were scenes in there there was a, a sex scene between um ripley and dallas and okay. the idea was not to show that they were necessarily in a relationship but that it was just casual sex because yeah, yeah, yeah. they can be out there for years at a time so crew do um they, they they have needs um they have to feed the beast sort of thing um that was cut and there were there were were more almost like character building scenes that yeah. were, were cut both from the script and from the, the massively extended version. And I think, I think one of the things I, I think I mentioned it later on that even, even from the start, you, you don't get the impression. This is a crew that are a group of friends. You oh, get, no. they're, they're a group of coworkers who tolerate one another to varying degrees. Yeah. It's not, it's not a tight knit crew. It's, they do, they're all out there. They're doing a job. Some of them have closer relationships than others. Brett and Parker, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's there's a couple of things that subtly imply um, there is something between Ripley and Dallas. Yeah. Um, but, but it's all very. It is all. They're just there to get. They do a job and they want to go home. 
<coughs> you were you were saying about the the um the sound work yeah, on this yeah. like thing. I've got I've got a note here that says there's, there's lots of weird and unsettling background noises. Yes, there are. Just every every area has its own thing, like the um the med lab has got that weird sort of Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one there's one it's just like <laughs> there's one point in the film it's just the ticking. It's just the Yeah. And these noises and, yeah. don't seem to have any source. And it's like it kind of puts you it puts you on edge. It makes every scene uncomfortable to watch. It's, even if there wasn't anything tense going on. Just they're using just the, the around it. They're using the ambient or they're trying to they're using the ambient ship sounds as a character, really. Like yeah. the ship is a character. And we're not gonna kind kind of give you loads of exposition or we're not gonna have it save the day or anything. We are eventually gonna blow it up. But <laughs> subtly in the background we're going to use these kind of these sounds that the ship makes to put you on edge and to give you this the feeling that you are very much on the ship like because a modern film it would be you'd have dialogue and you'd have soundtrack and then you'd have any noise that kind of had to be in there like the scene i think they're looking for the alien and it's Mm. dead silent and matey knocks the thing over and there's yeah. a bit of a jump scare. Like, that's like a sound you would definitely have in there. But in this, they've kind of weaved this tapestry of weird, incidental, ambient noises on the ship. And like you said, different parts of the ship have different distinctive noises. Mm. And subconsciously, you're like, all right, we're kind of weird near here because I can hear that sound. Or yeah. you're just unsettled the whole time. And it gives you an idea of like atmosphere as well. None, yeah, very, none of them are pleasant sounds, good. are they? Yeah. I don't know whether it works really well because there is so little acting and character development going on that yeah. the tension and the sound and the atmosphere is what gets you through that first like 54 minutes. I don't know if that would be ruined if it was constantly like, oh, this person's banging this person or this person's doing this because... <laughs> that would humanize things too much and you, yeah, i yeah, think yeah. that would make things more comfortable more relatable this the, the film does a really good job especially like you say in that, that first like hour of the film of keeping the audience at arm's length yeah it it both pulls you in with the with the camera work and the sound work so it puts you there but it also keeps your arm's length because you can't really relate or connect to any yeah. of the characters it which re- is very clever um, I don't know what other episode it was that I talked about this, but I definitely did. Um, there's this George R. R. Martin book I read called Night Flyers. Yeah. I think it, I don't know, if, I think it was Event Horizon, actually. I think we've got it. Was, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, this, it, this has, and, well, I don't know which one was written. I know he wrote that in the 70s, but they're very similar in as much as like it's a ship out of space on a mission. And I mean, in the book, the ship goes after them in this mm. is an alien but like the themes of like you're you're in space for so long and you, you're going to eventually have casual sex with a with a colleague on the ship because mm. people have needs that was played out in this book so there are there a lot of very similar themes really only that didn't have an alien that had a psychotic ship but it that, there's definitely a very there's a time frame, right? Set like late 70s, early 80s, where mm. the only person doing space adventures was George Lucas and everyone else was doing, no, <laughs> this is proper sci-fi. And yeah, like, everyone else doing hard of, sci-fi. There were a lot of similar themes that ran through a lot of, 
a lot of the stuff that I've taken in from that from that era has very similar themes to it, yeah. like technology turning on you or the unknown, like an alien turning yeah. on you, and yeah, being stuck out in space. I don't know what you got next. Um, next, I have something completely off the wall. Um, the Scotty Principle. Okay. <laughs> now this is this is something that is seen at work here with Parker and Brett when they're discussing the repairs to the ship. And what is it? Mate, he says, oh, it's going to take about 17 hours to fix. And then he gets on the uh, oh, yeah. on the communicator and says, oh, it's yeah. going to be 27 hours. Now, this is called the Scotty Principle, based on uh, Montgomery Scott, the engineer from the original series of Star Trek. Yeah. Basically, I- I've copied and pasted it here from Wikipedia because I tried to memorize it and write it in a witty way, but it didn't work. So I'm just going to read it as Wikipedia <laughs> says it. Now. Number one, you calculate the average required time for completion of given task. Number two, depending on the importance of the task, add 25 to 50% additional time to the original estimate. Number three, report and commit to the inflated time estimate with your superiors, clients, or whatever. Number four, under optimal conditions, the task is completed closer to the original time versus uh, time estimate versus the inflatable inflated delivery time expected by those waiting. So it makes you look like a fucking miracle worker. <laughs> and this is something I had been unconsciously living at work. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking this is going to be a new tool in my bag of trying to look good at work. Just yep. constantly tell everyone it's going to take twice as long and then look good when I complete. Yeah. Yep. There That's you go. Good. That's it. Yeah. I like this guy principle. <laughs> I knew it was a thing because I'd yeah. seen it quoted before. And I actually I did a little bit of Googling around it because as soon as they said that, I was like, that is a thing. And I know that is a thing. <laughs> um, there are a couple of references actually in here to Star Trek, which is bizarre because you really wouldn't think that because the, the two are, you know, polar opposites Very to opposite. one another. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, there are there are some some parallels between the two. Uh, Dallas. Dallas yeah. seems more like a trucker in space <laughs> than a starship captain. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's he, he just doesn't, he's got, like, he was the one that I really felt kind of been, could have been used in a much better way, like, he definitely, yeah. definitely could have had more personality, he definitely could have, cause it's just nothing about him that I can relate to, he's just, no, absolutely just two-dimensional, calling really. in. Yeah, yeah. It, the whole, the whole performance seems to be very much called in, even when he's in the, uh, in, in the, the, the tunnels at the end being chased by the xenomorph yeah. he he just seems to be like yeah okay oh no i'm gonna die now yeah uh, and it's i kind of get that yeah maybe that's what he was going for but he very laid back but you kind of need to show that that is something and that there is more to it and it's not just you phoning in the role uh, what's yeah. that that guy's name who plays him no idea I want to say Merrick, but that's that's not. I think that's from the Vampire Chronicles. Yeah, um, from the Vampire Chronicles. Yeah. Uh, Tom Skerritt. Yeah, that's Skerritt? it. Yeah. 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 Um, I'll recognise it now. Yeah, yeah. He just he didn't look bothered, and like he could have. I don't know. You, I just you. I guess you expect more from the captain of a ship. It's like, how on earth did you get to the rank of captain when you're just this blase about everything? I think that's the thing. The the the, the space trucker thing it's like the, the company doesn't want uh, a captain picard they don't want uh, they don't want a han solo they don't want heroes they want someone who's going to follow the the rules and get the job done for as little money as possible 
This is why I will never have a multinational corporation because yeah. I just be like, I know you've got all the all the skill and I know you can do the job and I know you'd be really good <laughs> and profitable for me, but I just I just I just want someone a bit more interesting, a bit more just charisma. Don't like like, face. Yeah. Just... What's your backstory, mate? Like, have you got an interesting backstory? What's what's your secret origin? No. <laughs> yeah. What's your origin oh, story? I, oh. Boy. I know you just got. I know you just come out of Harvard, like top of the class, but I can't hire you. I'm just going to hire Rooney because he's malleable and he's like more interesting than you. Do Do you wear um, braces with really high trousers and a, and a duster? <laughs> uh, no. What, what do you mean you don't have a vintage revolver as your weapon of choice? Come on. Are you even yeah. trying? <laughs> I just want Captain Mal. Stop <laughs> coming at me with your board. Qualified. <laughs> genius way of doing a job i just want someone fun be a bit more interesting <laughs> what's that thing you were on yesterday a joffet uh, a jabot a jabot yeah I, where's your jabot come on where's your flair where's your style what kind of hero are you oh 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 you're a captain not a hero no I can't, well, I can't bullshit um go work for somebody else yeah <laughs> I'm going to have this guy here who's turned up in fucking... He's wearing a duster. He's got a Stetson. This guy's turned his estate car into fucking Ecto-1. <laughs> Come on, he's got flair. He's got a bit of... There's a bit of... Like, you know, he's, he's a fascinating individual. I could spend the next 10 years trying to figure out what the fuck made him turn his car into that. <laughs> You ain't seen my new car, have you? <laughs> I judge you enough. I don't need any more excuses to judge you. <laughs> well, in that case, uh, one of the very few moments of levity in this film um, is where Ripley is down in like the engineering section talking to Brett and Parker amidst all those venting pipes. They're all spraying shit everywhere. Yeah, and it yeah. gradually gets louder and louder. And then Ripley stalks off in a huff. And as soon as she leaves the area, Parker just goes and turns them all off. And it's like, and then you suddenly realise that's where his hand was. That the, the entire conversation. Time. He'd been turning it up. And yeah. then as soon as he leaves, he just turns it off. <laughs> and that genuinely made me laugh. When I realised that, I was like, that's that's brilliant. And that's about the only laugh out loud moment in this entire film. Yeah, I, n- I normally... I normally reddish a bit of like you know dark cinema, but I it it was too I, it, there was too much kind of like tension and foreboding in this for me. There no, needed no release, is there? No release. You know, you know, like we shouted out, we shouted out Wonder Woman for kind of having that sequence of about ten minutes where it was very cute and very yeah. funny, and then they go into war. Like I feel like there were. Pop, there were parts of this film where you could have burst the burst the bubble only yeah. to refill it again because all you re- it's just one like it's just fucking one huge bubble of tension that only really gets popped right two minutes before the end of the film like there's like yeah. they could have there could have been more dynamics i think in it could have been paced better and it could have been more dynamics if they just thrown some witty dialogue in every so often to kind of pop the bubble yeah well, i think that, that was clearly a a, a design a decision they wanted oh, it yeah. Yeah, yeah they wanted everyone on edge throughout the the duration of the film but as you say yeah you, I can, think... you can put people on edge 
and then you can take them back and then you can put them back there and you can take them back and it's much more of like a, a ride whereas this yeah like some films are like they get they figure out how to do it that it's like the most fun roller coaster you've ever been on whereas this film feels like um a small world where you just kind of just go slowly <laughs> going around grind just slowly going more and more insanity yeah <laughs> That's that's a good analogy. I like that one. <laughs> uh, this film, following on from what you were just saying there, this film is very dark. Not not necessarily tonally, but literally. Yes. The screen is dark. I yeah. had to shut the curtains both up here and downstairs last night when I was watching it to be able to see what was going on. Especially where they're on the space jockey ship. Oh yeah. That whole sequence is so dark. You just like, like am I missing something? I'm, I'm squinting. Get, get fucking torched. <laughs> <laughs> It's like whenever they whenever when they land and they first um, find the alien ship, that mm. entire planet. It's like it's it's almost like we haven't got special effects that can do this, so we're just gonna kind of turn the contrast right turn down, so it's really right dark, down. so you can just about make up like see some rocks, and then yeah. we're gonna flood loads of fog in here, and uh, that's gonna be our alien landscape. It's a shame, especially in on the the space jockey ship, because. That's a beautiful set. I've seen a footage of it um, just shot in regular lighting. Yeah. And the work, the craftsmanship has gone into the, the walls are all like organic and everything is looks yeah. really, really good. And the only time you get any real hint of that is with Kane when he's going down the rope into the yeah. egg chamber. When he's actually in the egg chamber, you get to see some of the bits of the floor and the ribbing around the walls and stuff. And it's such a beautiful set that it really is a shame that you don't get to see more of it. There are some films these days that are ruined by budget, the budget being too big and technology mm. being too good because so you get a lot of films where people are like, we can do anything. So let's just forget story and do everything. Do it, yeah. Whereas this in this film, it was very much like, we can't do much. So we're not going to do much. Yeah. We're just going to play with mood and atmosphere and tension to kind mm. of set the tone like there are some films that could have really 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 benefited from being made in the 70s this <laughs> film could really benefit with being made i don't know in the 20 like the 2000s when technology yeah. was uh, at that level you could have probably got more out of this film then really. yeah oh, yeah definitely because you'd have more to play with so you could do those things and through digital you know the the, the the wonders of digitizing shit it would be dark gloomy and oppressive but you'd be able to see the yeah. the beautiful set and and the landscape and stuff like that they did they kind of did it they did it better in aliens which i will say now is my favorite in the, oh yeah the whole Isn't everyone's favorite? Thing. i think so yes yeah um because although they go back to the same planet uh lv426 isn't it or it's never given a name in this film um, they go back to the same planet, and even outside, rather than it being black, it's got it's almost in tones of dark blue. Oh, okay. Like yeah, a kind yeah, of grey sort of yeah. like dark blue thing, so that it is dark and it's oppressive, but you can see. I mean, they yeah. did have a bigger budget, and it was made uh, some years afterwards, so the the, the technology the had technology advanced. Was better, and they were like, well, he made two hundred million in the last film, so yeah, it's fifty instead of eleven. <laughs> um, I really like this. This was accidental nostalgia or inadvertent nostalgia that this film evinced in me. When Ash is watching the helmet cameras 
when yeah, the, yeah. they're going off and investigating it. Um, and they've used, well, they seem to have just recorded the footage, transferred it to VHS and then fucked up the tapes. Yeah. Because the, the, the camera, the screens, the feed they're getting back is like when you had a VHS tape that, that did that weird sort of like squiggly yeah, 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 thing yeah, 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 at yeah. the beginning and at the end, or when they were just knackered or damaged, you got yeah. you get them halfway through watching a film and it would just go with the lines across, and it's like, I just suddenly got watching that. I was like, ah, oh, I remember yeah. when, when uh, that was how you used to watch films. Yeah. And I got nostalgic and then I remembered, no, wait, it was fucking awful because you couldn't see anything on the film. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Razor far better. Oh, yes. Oh, God. The space jockey ship. Yeah. Now, it is, it's a great plot device. I know that it's been explored in spin-off media and stuff like that, but I'm I'm not doing like we've done previously. I'm very much keeping to the sphere of this film. Yeah. It's, It's a great plot device because it's like, what is it doing there? Why does it have a hold full of these killer eggs? Yeah. Where's the rest of the crew? How did that pilot guy, that the, the corpse that we see, get infected? Where's the alien that came out of him? You know, there's so many questions. The whole thing is just a massive mystery. And it, they just go, oh, this is weird. Oh, alien. We're going to forget about that now. And you're kind of like, well, me? I'm like, yeah. no, no, I need to know more. Tell me about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the rest of the film. Please figure Please. out. Surely this, 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 is, this is it, right? And then yeah. Prometheus and fucking Alien Covenant just took a steaming shit all over it. Um, oh, I, I haven't seen them too, to be fair. I wanted bother. to see Prometheus, and then I read some... I had a lot of people say it was terrible, so I just didn't waste my time. Yeah, it is. It is not good. Uh, is it Covenant? I don't think I've seen Alien Covenant. But again, it basically follows on. It Well, it is a sequel to um, Prometheus. Um and what I've seen of it has not won me over. So I haven't yeah. watched that yet either. I'll wait until there's literally nothing else to watch. Then I'll watch it. <laughs> um, how how does the alien grow so quickly? Is it just part of their biochemistry that they get born and within a yeah. day they're fully, they're fully grown? I think I think it's it's addressed somewhere in, in one of the later films or something when they actually yeah. start like digging into it. But yeah, I, I love I love that. There's that, that sort of twist because there they are. They've got their little cattle prods and they've got yeah. their little net. And they're like, yeah, we'll go and catch it because as far as they're concerned, it's like a, a vicious like a snake sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not going to be too much of an issue for them. And they're out there hunting it. And unbeknownst to them, it's now a seven-foot murder beast. Yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a... The inner mouth thing that just punches through your skull. Oh, it's like, the, the speed it grew, like, Really, when you think about it, between it popping out of the body and it exiting the room, it probably should have grown about three inches. <laughs> and it's, why, do, why doesn't it eat the cat? I mean, it's got to be hungry. It's just been born and then it runs away. Yeah. So why, well, actually, I know why it doesn't eat the cat because it's an arsehole. Cats are arseholes. They're, they're just birds with a feather, aren't they? Yeah. They probably had some kind of like, like agreement where... Uh, he, the, the alien would kill the crew and the cat would just go around and eat their corpses because... The cat, right? I don't see the cat wake up at the beginning when they're all getting out of pods. So does that mean the cat's just been kind of roaming the ship free on its own, fending for itself the whole time? Because it The goes cat doesn't into... come in until about halfway through the film. You realise there's a cat. 
Yeah, I'm assuming it must have been in in one of the the sleep pods with with one of the crew we don't actually see getting up sort of thing. Yeah. Maybe it's in with Ripley because we only see her laying in there, and if it were if it were laying next to her or something, we wouldn't see it. She does seem to care about the cat more than anybody else. Yeah, she does. It must Which... be her cat. <laughs> um, uh, right. I've got another note Ash. on how good Ash. What about He's Ash? A robot. Yeah. That throws Angel. Ripley across the room. Yeah. If you can do that damage, why choose the most ridiculous way in the world to try and kill her? <laughs> yeah, right. I have a note on this. Death by rolled up magazine. WTF followed by lots of exclamation and question marks because what? I mean, we. I assumed I, I was trying to justify this last night when I was watching it. So I remember that scene being really, really good when when I was younger and watched this film. Oh yeah, and and it yeah it is still a good, um, it's still a very good scene, but it's demonstrated several times that he is far stronger than the human. When uh, Parker is trying to get his hand off of Ripley, yeah, and he he can't move it, and then he just basically Ash just gropes him so hard on the move that it like you know tears his shirt and cripples him sort of thing. I assume it's something around. Some very now this is entirely head canon, and this is just right. what I've come up with after watching the film last night. It must be something based around sort of Asimov's three laws. Oh it's, yeah, he he's not he's programmed not to. He's programmed, and they, they 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 don't mention explicitly they have the three laws. Bishop kind of addresses it in Aliens when Ripley is all freaked out when she finds out that he's uh, an android, and he yeah. says, "Oh no no, they they were a bit glitchy. They they." You know, we have all kinds of new safeguards that mean I can't, couldn't kill a, a, a sentient. Um, now, I'm assuming there was some kind of restrictions that he's having to, programming restrictions that he's having to overcome, which is also why he makes all the weird, he starts getting very twitchy yeah, yeah, yeah. and jittery. So I'm assuming it's some kind of cognitive dissonance in his positronic net or whatever suffices for a brain um, that, you know, he doesn't just throttle her or snap her neck. He, He's not thinking straight because he's a little gone a little bit wonky, which is why he decides to kill her by jamming a rolled-up magazine in her mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's the most bizarre thing. It's like you've just thrown her across a room. Yeah, like you could do this with your hands. Why try to do that? Yeah, it, I, yeah. It's. It, I uh, like your theory. Your theory does make logical sense to me. I'm just just trying to legitimize it in my head why he would do that rather than just kill her outright, aside yeah. from plot reasons. But, Considering they, they, because they say at one point that there was enough, the captains worked with a different science officer until yeah. for this past five missions, and then two days before he was brought in, so mm. they obviously brought him in on purpose because he was there to cap- capture the alien. Capture the alien, yeah. But wouldn't they then have changed his program to like, you are now allowed to kill anybody that gets in the yes. way of your mission? Yeah, I mean maybe they did, but they could be. Uh, again, I am I'm relying quite heavily on Asimov law here. That yeah. it's it's something that's built in. It's it's hard coded into the the circuitry. So although you can bypass it, it does damage the machine you're bypassing it on because it's going contrary to its nature, sort of thing. Okay, yeah, I'll buy that. That's that. That's that's my interpretation of it. But um, just a side note on that, Ian Holm, you know, God's rest his soul, um, does uh, Sinister very well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Considering I always remember him as uh, the dad in The Borrowers, 
from way <laughs> back when, you know, yeah. and he was he was charming and and uh, and delightful as a borrower back in like the 90s or whenever that was. Seeing him doing this, it's it's yeah, it's jarring. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I mean, right. even in in Lord of the Rings, he's he's like a a, a doting old man. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so seeing him doing this it is quite jarring and he does it very well. I think because it probably works better now, even better now than it did at the time, because he normally plays very likable characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this film, he's not likable. And then to see him go full on weirdo schizo murderer is, uh, yeah, it's, it's alarming. It's a, it's a very, un, very, very unsettling scene when after they've killed him and they kind of turn him back on and it's just yeah. the head. And you see the body in the background yeah. at weird angles, and it's just his head and that, the different change of his voice where he's been damaged. Yeah. That's pretty unsettling. That, that is yeah. unnerving, that whole thing. Um, I have a, a note on just how great the face hugger creature is because it still looks creepy, even in this day oh, and age. Yeah. Oh, you get yeah. some real close ups of it, it's the focus of quite a lot of screen time, and it holds up even all this time afterwards. Oh, yeah, definitely. Really well. Absolutely. Um, I, you'll be you'll be pleased to hear, flight suits. I love <laughs> flight suits. Fashion. But, it's making but a other comeback. Than that, no, uh, no, it's not because other oh, than that, okay. all the other outfits in this film are dreadful. So I'm just not even going to address them. I've only got one fashion esque question for you. Mm. Why doesn't Ripley adjust her underwear <laughs> from that last scene? Oh God! Yeah, I'm watching that scene, and I can't. I have to admit, I couldn't really remember much about this film before I put it on. But I'm watching it, and she she's there. She's like, "Yeah, I'm happy. I've escaped," and she just starts stripping. And first, I thought, "Oh God, this is a bit too much." Like, I don't understand why they got to do this. They're just trying to like, I don't know, exploit her because she's quite attractive. And then, like, she turns she kind of gets undressed and she turns around and she bends over <laughs> to do something and it's just crack just it's like crack. yeah i just don't understand why she couldn't just kind of like sort herself out it just makes yeah. no unless that was just the way people were back then in the 70s I... that's just the way <laughs> that's how they wore their underwear yeah i get the i get the feel, i get the idea with with this film it's all very much just a sort of warts and all you yeah. know they're, they're, they're not doing it to, to, to look good. They don't, you know, the, the characters aren't worried about that. They're just getting on with their life. They don't care that the crew sees them wandering around in their underwear because that's just a, a fact of life for them. Yeah. But yeah, just that, it doesn't sit right, does it? No. Just literally just pull them up slightly. And, and... Yeah. I mean, I totally, like, as that scene played out, I totally understood why they felt the, the necessity for her to get naked was because mm. two minutes later she was going to put a different flight suit on and that, was, <laughs> and that was how she was going to like kind of save the day but yeah at first when it when it first started happening i was like oh no please please don't cheapen yourself please don't please don't do the weird, this the weird thing is it's like it's not played sexually there's nothing no. arousing about that scene no. there's no unnecessary close-ups there's not you know long shots or sultry music it's literally just a woman getting undressed to get changed yeah it's 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 really it's a bizarre scene yeah and then um i always remember like uh carrie fisher saying that she kept begging george lucas to be able to wear a bra on the set of a new yeah, there are no bras and he kept, in outer space. yeah and he kept telling that there are no bras bras in outer space and it's true because ripley doesn't wear a bra ripley either doesn't wear one no no 
Yeah, but come on. She doesn't really need one. No, she's got them perfect kind of pert tits that are never going to sag. It's, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing for gravity to act on there, so she doesn't have to worry. Right. Um, but an interesting sidebar, well, I say interesting, a sidebar on that. Um, in the opening scene where they're all coming out of their, their sleep pods, uh, Lambert and Ripley had to have, originally they were going to be, uh, well, originally all the crew were going to be naked. Right. Then they were going to have bottoms and, and they'd just be topless. But they were worried that, you know, that would cut down on distribution in certain markets. Yeah. Um, so then they introduced everyone was wearing that sort of the uniform white underwear. Um, but uh, Ripley and Lambert or the actresses playing them yeah. had to have tape over their nipples to disguise oh, okay. their nipples because otherwise that would get quite the film might get rejected or heavily censored in certain areas. Uh, it was going to be released because people don't like to acknowledge that women have nipples, apparently. It's a much it's a different thing. time then, wasn't it? Yeah. Different time. When you consider the shit that people get away with now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they that they had to wear tape over their nipples to disguise them underneath their vests. There you go. <laughs> um, Rooney, he knows all the facts about tape on nipple. All the all the tape on nipples. That's my that's my bag, baby. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise uh, until watching this, having recently rewatched. This other film I'm about to name drop here. Yeah. I didn't realize just how much Event Horizon borrowed from oh, yeah. this film, um, especially in terms of atmosphere and set design. I mean, the Lewis and Clark and the Nostromo could have rolled out of the same shipyard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They are, they are brothers from another mother, those two. It's And it's just so much. We're looking back. There's a, for some reason, I haven't put it with this bit here, but there is another scene again really late in both films which they're they're kind of distorted mirrors of one another the the coolant for the air system that lambert and parker have to go and retrieve um was translated almost directly into the scene where the survivors from the lewis and clark need to gather o2 scrubbers yeah from the event horizon when they were planning to make their um evacuation from the event horizon i mean the writers of event horizon should really like by the writers on this film a fruit basket or a pony or something (laughs) and that's another really obscure reference that no one will get but they should buy them a pony or something um because yeah they are uh, yeah event horizon just basically (laughs) it's that that that, that meme isn't it where it's like hey can i copy your homework yeah yeah just change it up a bit so no one realizes you copy and they literally just copy paste copy paste it's like (laughs) the whole crew atmosphere and everything is just straight from one into the other yeah, it is um, literally the only difference is it's the ship that goes after him as opposed to an alien. An alien, yeah. Yeah. Which is, I, it works. It's probably why Event Horizon uh, has become such a cult classic. But yeah, very heavy. Uh, let's call them homages. So, oh shall yeah, we? definitely, it's definitely a homage. It's definitely not a copyright problem. It's definitely not um, blatant plagiarism. No. <laughs> so. We talked briefly about the chestburster scene. I I don't think we really need to address that in too much detail because everybody has seen it. However, in my never-ending quest for interesting trivia nuggets, um, which you'll notice now I am sprinkling throughout my notes, uh, (laughs) the screams in that chestburster scene from the the, the cast are genuine. Okay. Because up until it burst out of Kane's 
uh, prosthetic chest, the cast hadn't seen the infant xenomorph. Ah. So they didn't know what it looked like. They didn't know there was going to be so much blood. Um, they also didn't know where that blood was going to, screw, uh, to, to spray. So their shocked expressions and screams when the blood sprays out and everything, they're genuine. And that poor old Lambert, when she shrieks after she gets coated in blood, yeah. that was genuine because that was not planned. She was not expecting to be hosed in fake blood. The whole thing was basically just them going, right, we're going to do this. Don't tell the cast. Then it pops up. They spray them all with blood and the cast are all like, oh, oh fuck. Ah! And that's that's genuine. <laughs> I, I do love them little moments where the the people behind the scenes know what's going to happen, but the actors yeah. don't. And they just kind of <laughs> drop it on them. It's like, oh, God, this is we're going to kill people with the Star Wars references in this episode when it comes to the drinking <laughs> game. But uh, it's like the uh, Luke, I am your father scene. Like, yeah, yeah. Like no one knew that was going to be the thing except for Mark Hamill knew like two minutes before they shot the scene. Yeah. So he could react, but no one else knew. And then it was only when they overdubbed, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, James L. Jones. Jones. Yeah. Later on, they put that line in. So yeah, I, 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 I do love it when they're able to kind of get natural reactions rather than acted reactions. Mm. In film. It, it, it definitely is, yeah. makes a difference. The, the actors probably don't appreciate it, but you know, that's their problem. <laughs> I've only got a couple of notes left. I've, I've got a few left. Good. Shoot. Um, so what is it with ship designers and small, awkwardly shaped crawlways and ducts? Now, we see them here. We see them in, well, almost every Starship film. Every, every horror or, or, you know, thriller sci-fi film film has them in some manner or form we obviously see them in event horizon with their glowy green panels we also we see them in uh, the enterprise the yeah. enterprise has them in the form of its jeffrey's tubes it has them and they're all these awkwardly shaped little crawled ways it's like if you're putting a main plasma conduit or you know a, a main air duct which is going to supply flow to the entire ship and you know people are going to be going in there at some point for maintenance Think of your engineers, guys. Seriously, yeah. make them big enough that they aren't going to cripple themselves after half an hour of being... Like, can you imagine you or me? We sit here with our legs crossed for half an hour and we oh, nearly no. die. Yeah. If you had to go crawling through one of those, where you're going to be hunched over like, oh, no. You spend an hour or so like, fixing a conduit down there. You could get out of there and your legs are going to fall off. <laughs> I always just assumed that, like, claustrophobia, claustrophobia is a universal kind of thing everybody can relate to it in some way shape or form so it's yeah. a very easy physical way to kind of makes put somebody on edge because they're like oh i don't want to be in there pretty I much like what you're saying there. now like oh, fuck i don't want to be in one of them it would kill me yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it you the film just... and subconsciously you're like oh yeah oh yeah this nope. is horrible i don't want to be in <laughs> I'm there, looking out there. <laughs> um i do like the the those the hatches in that Patches, the iris ones yeah yeah, yeah. grind shut and grind open oh, they're really cool they are really cool and the noise they make is they missed the it's trick. another one those oh they missed the trick not having it kill someone because it would be it would be like perfect yeah. or to kind of have that will it get someone or will it not like someone trying to squeeze through and it's just trying yeah. it's indiana just jones moment yeah yeah, I think I could. I think they could have definitely done something like that. But talking about ship design, mm. 
And it's not just this ship, it's many ships. But who the fuck builds a self-destruct mechanism into a mode of transportation? <laughs> now, I was thinking about this, right? <clears throat> I, again, linked it back to Star Trek because I mean, this, this self-destruct mechanism is horrendously complex. You've got to go and do this thing and then you've got to pull down these levers and then that opens yeah. another box and then you've got to twist the th- spark plugs in, then open these brass columns, push the button, then they rise and then it starts this huge countdown and and then you can only stop it for the first five minutes after that you got five minutes to just get the fuck out of there get the, get the fuck out of dodge yeah. um whereas with like the star trek ones you basically need two senior yeah. officers to give their self to give their yeah. authorization codes and say blow up my ship um yeah. but i could kind of understand it in some settings if it's a military ship you don't want the enemy capturing it like so how many how many aircraft carriers and submarines do you think are out of sea at the moment with self-destruct mechanism. They have them. They call it scuttling. Really? You scuttle the ship, you sink it. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. Oh, if, okay. Yeah, if there's a... It's, it's the same. You wouldn't want them exploding because no. that would, like, destroy the ecosystem and what have you. So they scuttle them and they sink them. It's the same It's the same thing. But what I can't understand is why you would have that on a commercial ship. Yeah. I mean, it, we don't get the impression that... the the, the Nostromo or the, the refinery platform that it's tugging through space are top secret or, you know, they're a corporate, a corporate um, IP or anything. You, maybe it's, it's in, just another just ship. Space pirate, space pirates attack. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't, don't know. know. It, yeah, it just, it happens in so, so many like science fiction films that like a self-destruct mechanism has been built into this. And it, I always stop and just think, who would even do that? <laughs> who would get the time? During during the planning phase, to be like, oh, don't forget, we got to build the uh, the self destruct yeah. mechanism. It's it's that classic sci fi trope, isn't it? Because yeah. it, it happens in Aliens, and that's not a starship; that's a, a terraforming plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they blow that up. Um, yeah, it seems to be a sci fi thing. I mean, I, I don't know. Has the ISS got one? I don't know. When old Major What's His Chops was up there, the uh, was it Tim Peak? No idea. Major, the the um, yeah, he was a chap was up there one of it was an english astronaut and he was doing live streams back to the uk oh, and interacting yeah. with with school kids and stuff like that you know they were doing live streams up to the station it's like you know when he was up there was you know did he have to get given a special key to yeah. you know self-destruct the station in case a xenomorph gets on board or something like if one of these ufos that the pentagon are now saying are real comes anywhere near the international space station just yeah just put his key in and press this red button and uh get in a escape pod they don't even have escape pods <laughs> on the International Space Station. That's what I want to know. No, they don't. They have to be picked up by a by a rocket ship. It has to go up there and pick them up. You, I'd think if you were going into a career in NASA or whoever you work for to like design these things, then you would have probably grown up like a sci-fi fan. So you know all about escape pods and you know all about self-destruct mechanisms. So why are you not bringing them into your designs? Maybe, right, the people at NASA are like, well, hang on a minute. If a xenomorph gets on board and implants the crew and then they launch the escape pods with them on board, they're going to infect the planet. So maybe Mission Control has a self-destruct button so that when they're watching on the the, the internal cameras, if they see like, you know, a face hugger, they're just just like, push the red button and the ISS, oh, there was a tragic accident. Or it was Russia. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, everything's blown up. Russia. 
So yeah, I I yeah, I'll buy that. Maybe. Yeah. You know we're gonna get disappeared now, aren't we? Oh yeah. The black helicopters buzzing truth. overhead, waiting to just uh, we've we've stumbled onto the truth, and we're gonna get disappeared. Sorry, yeah, guys. Way too close to the truth here. This, this will be our last episode because we're gonna be in fucking Guantanamo or something, or thrown off the edge of the flat Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Like, you think you know everything? Come here, we're taking you to the edge. You think <laughs> the flat Earthers, but it's really real. There you gonna go. Give us, they're gonna give us that that vaccine that causes autism. <laughs> <laughs> they give us a double dose. Why do they need truth serum on the jet? Right at the end, when she like she's on the jet alone, she's got naked. There's a she goes down to the panel like I am um, when she's just trying to spray the alien with gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before that panel comes over, the top it says something like um, special chemicals or something like that, and the very top one says sodium pentothal. I was just like, why do they need truth serum on the jet? I did not see that. Yeah, I have no idea. Is it not used for anything else? I don't know. I I only know it as truth serum. I don't know if it does have ulterior. I'm assuming right. it does have some kind of medical use or yeah. something. I don't know. That's a good question. I, yeah. I hadn't noticed that. <laughs> Weird. Maybe she was going to use it on, on Jonesy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you um, eat I'm my only... sandwich, you little feline bastard? <laughs> <laughs> Do you really love me or am I just here to provide you food? <laughs> I've only got one note left and it's a shout out. Okay. I did say an earlier scene I felt was a bit cringy by modern standards. But I will say, in an age where feminism and equality is important, I think we have to mention that the final three survivors on the ship are two women and a black man. Yeah. And they actually stand a pretty good chance and until, well, Lambert... I, I don't know if this has come across, but I don't like Lambert. I don't like her as a character. <laughs> you, you, a fucking liability. You've you have hit it pretty well so far. <laughs> You've got that scene, right, where they're, they're collecting the, 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 the air tanks or whatever the fuck it is, and the, the xenomorph drops down between her and uh, Parker. Yeah. And Parker's there with his incinerator unit, and he's like, Lambert, get out of the way, get out of the way, Lambert. And Lambert yeah. just starts to go, <laughs> and I have a note here that just said, oh, where is it? Uh, Parker, fuck Lambert, just flame the damn xenomorph. Because yeah, if he'd done that, he'd have just, whoosh. okay, Lambert would have died, but she dies anyway. And then him and Ripley could have flown off, and you could have had him, imagine Lambert and, uh, not Lambert, Parker and Ripley hanging out with the Colonial Marines in the second film. Yeah. I mean, fucking Parker could have hefted a fucking, one of the smart guns, mate. He'd have been in there with the Marines, I tell you. It would have been totally different. You wouldn't have needed... Uh, Michael Bean coming in with his bloody Dwayne Hicks because you'd have already had the big male hero for the flick. But so, no. Here's a question to pose. In a life and death situation, how many chances do you give somebody to escape before you just take them out to save your own life? One. At least, fr- I say three. At least three times he says, <laughs> move, get out of the way. And she doesn't. And at that point, if you, it's like, I've given you, I've told you three times. 
I've given you every opportunity to save yourself, and you're not, yeah. and I ain't gonna die. So, boom. The uh, thing is, right? There's there's a uh, there's a bit. Well, when when start when shit starts to go to pot, we've already we've already seen that they aren't a group of friends. They aren't a close knit crew. They are just you know co-workers. Yeah. And as soon as stuff starts going wrong, that that veneer of civility cracks pretty quickly and pretty bad pretty badly. Yeah. Um, and we see them, they're, they're, they're teetering on the brink. They're almost as dangerous to one another uh, as the xenomorph is. Um, and that really does drive home the, the, the fact that they aren't friends and things like that. So if I were in Parker's situation and there were a colleague who whined and bitched and moaned, uh, and if any of my colleagues are listening to this, yeah, if we're in a life or death situation... <laughs> we're in a life or death situation where i can kill the big bad with a flamethrower but it'll mean killing you as well and i've already told you to get out of the way and you're just standing there crying you're gonna die okay yeah. you're gonna be extra crispy the bad guy's gonna die but you're gonna die as well and i will count that a worthy sacrifice and i will sleep soundly at night okay so basically what you're all learning whilst listening to this podcast is <laughs> Rooney is just as ruthless and uncaring is the real god yeah basically yeah. i can't be a sociopath because i'm god therefore it's okay yeah. <laughs> but no the thing is just don't get between me and killing the big bad because yeah. i will kill you to say it's it's the good the the, the spot quote fucking hell, again star trek the the good of the many outweigh the good of the few oh, and yeah, if absolutely. i have to kill you to kill the big bad guy and yeah i, I will do <laughs> So if we take that the the good of the many is more important than the good of the few, and we transport it transport it to today in the real world, <laughs> how comes like a couple of voices can get stuff cancelled and shut down when the majority actually like it? But yeah, because cancel culture is toxic. Everything and, these days is everything is is toxic these days, in some which ways. is why. You know, I'm sure this this phrase it's it's a propos of nothing. It's just popped into my head. You know, everything is toxic. So wear a fucking mask, people. <laughs> you thought that was going to come with a lot earlier, didn't you? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, a long, long time ago. And to be fair, like the way from what I know of you is, there's no way you're leaving the house without a mask. Possibly even two. Possibly even like a face mask. That like shit a is custom, mate. Yeah, I've got a custom made one. Like a like a mouth covering mask, like a medical mask, yeah. with with your Mandalorian helmet over the top. <laughs> sure. I have been sorely tempted. I, I, I must admit. As as I um as I pointed out to you in a WhatsApp message a while ago, a lot of the people that are on Facebook shouting about wearing a mask aren't wearing fucking masks. Yeah. A lot of the people that I see that are like wear a mask, do this, do that, rah rah rah. I'm gonna repost every meme I come across today, even if it's fucking <laughs> bullshit. They're not doing what they're telling everyone else to do. Well, so it's a virtue signalling, isn't it? That's called. It's just the world is just a fucked up place right now. It's yeah. like everyone's so desperate because like, this is why I, this is why I think it's so dangerous, right? This online culture of outrage and everybody jumping on a bandwagon and then that moving over into the real world is yeah. dangerous because. Whilst I agree with 99% of these things that people are kicking off about, and I really do, a third of the people that make up the big enough number 
that mm. changes are made are just jumping on the bandwagon. Oh, yeah. Because the easiest way in it, in today's world to look smart and evolved and like you know what's going on is just to go online and repost the same shit <laughs> that everyone else is reposting, whether you care about it or not. Because someone oh, yeah. will see that you've posted it and then they'll be like, oh, Oh, they're smart. They got their finger on the pulse. Rah, rah, rah. It's the easiest manipulation of the masses that can happen. But the problem mm. is that it like it takes a certain amount of people online to kick off about something before the rest of the world takes notice. But a third of them people were just jumping on the bandwagon. And at some point, whilst most of the 99% of these causes that people were fighting for now are worthy, at some point, these third, these, these third, this like, I don't know, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 people are going to jump on a cause that's, that's really quite going to jump on the wrong bandwagon. Yeah. yeah. And changes are going to be made. And then people are going to kind of go on about their life not realising what the fuck they've done. Like, <laughs> no, because you see it, like... If, oh, yeah. Like, I didn't watch the news for a long time, but now, I watch, now I'm watching the news. It's like um, all these things that people kick off about on the internet, two days later, they're on the news. So they're making their way into the real world more and more. And that's I just what, that's what I said the other week. Um, the, the the real world, the internet is the real world. Yeah, I'm finding it. It's it's it's, a, it's so pervasive now. It's it's a part of everyone of so many people's lives in such a deep way that it is the real world. If someone kicks off about something online, it's that there's barely any delineation anymore between what's on the news and what's online because most news services now are are digital. Yeah. A lot of them are like, this tweet says this, and this tweet says that, and look at all these tweets. And I just think it's a dangerous precedent to set. You've got to, you've got to ask questions. You can't just blindly repost things because you think it's gonna, it's gonna be. Um, I've been caught out a few times before. I've reposted something um, because I've, I've seen it. And I was like, no, that, that sounds, that sounds right, and I've just gone with it. And then I've been, I've been called out, and someone's fact checked it and said that's bullshit. Yeah. So I don't, I don't repost anything now unless I can verify. Yeah, that it is. It is accurate. You don't and post anything unless it's anti-conservative, but we'll just we'll just skip past that. <laughs> Listen, my social media is an extension of, of me and my personality. Oh, I know, I know, so... I know. Just, <laughs> I realise that I've, I've I've not I've not like made any digs at you for about two hours, so I thought I'd throw one in there. We have been we have been vibing on this film. Um, um, I just yeah, just I just think it's a dangerous precedent to set that enough people can use their 140 characters to change to change the world when that power at some point will be used badly and somebody somewhere right now is working on an algorithm to <laughs> to weaponize uh, outrage or to monetize outrage and it's gonna it's gonna lead us down a bad a bad road i was, I I was gonna hum the rush the russian uh, fuck's sake i was gonna hum the russian national anthem then and then i realized i don't know what it is well so. a lot of people are blaming stuff on russia but i've been i've caught a cup like the end of a couple of episodes of this program about the murdochs recently oh god it's, yeah. it's ridiculous how influential rupert murdoch and his cohort are it's like oh, yeah. in the politicians that get elected in everything like this is why I don't. This is why I don't like kind of believe the news and stuff like that. Or even to this point, I find it really difficult to really definitely hundred percent buy in to documentaries because whoever's making the documentary, whoever's 
like running the newspaper. Everyone has an agenda. And nine times out of You're ten, back to agenda again. <laughs> that agenda is is for their own is for them. It's to further their own cause. Yeah, and everyone by, has an agenda. We know that we've got an agenda. We want people to buy into this shit so we can get some of that Amazon money. <laughs> yeah, but that's like there's no detrimental side to that. You know what I mean? Well, isn't there? I've got I've got plenty of detrimental plans. You make me Jeff Bezos rich and motherfucker, I will show you tyranny. I tell you, you make me Jeff Bezos, Bezos rich. The only interaction anybody on this planet will ever have, or outside of my family will have with me, is listening to a Skyped version of this podcast. <laughs> I get that money, I am gone. I'm buying oh, a piece of land somewhere. Skeletor, mate. <laughs> I'm buying a piece of land somewhere out in the mid, probably out in New Zealand, near Hobbiton, somewhere like that. And I'm building a castle, and no one will ever see me again. I'm oh, telling man. you. What a castle. Oh yeah, this Amazon, Amazon, give us a fucking series so that I can buy a castle or build. Amazon, build me a castle. Yeah. For, like, for for the past few years, it's been my dream to like win the lottery and buy and build build my own castle. It will be completely modern on the inside, but on the outside, it will just. Look oh yeah, like a, the outside it will just be a fucking full on castle. It's that I think this is what's led me to my my new obsession, which is grand designs. <laughs> I, can't, I, I love I, I can't tell you why i just love that show at the moment i'm loving grand designs um right we should probably get back to this. there's something i didn't see us discussing on this episode fucking oh, grand design um <laughs> again i'm gonna gonna harp on a point here ripley leave the damned cat jonesy would not have come back for you because as i may have mentioned cats are assholes yeah and then, right, what, what really does it? What really fucking does it for me? Um, she goes back onto the ship to find him. And then yeah. after she has braved a self-destructing ship, harboring a seven-foot-tall murder alien, the dickbag cat jump scares her. <laughs> it jumps out of the fucking pilot yeah. seat and scares her. And it's like, you feline bastard. She is risking her life in more ways than one to come and get you off of the ship before you either get eaten by a xenomorph impregnated by a fucking face hugger or blown to your constituent atoms and what do you do you jump out and uh, make the poor the poor girl jump I'm, just I'm an arse hat i'm looking down at my and my girl who's now sleeping next to me she's come back sleeping on the bed next to me and yeah <laughs> I, I would risk everything to save her life i don't yeah, yeah that's because dogs are cool cats yeah. are dicks but to be fair I wouldn't have to risk anything because she follows me everywhere I go. So I the second I was, the second I was like, come on, we got to get off the ship. She'd oh, yeah. Same here. Yeah. Unless Lando got scared, in which case I'd have to pick him up and carry him like a baby. <laughs> because, yeah, when he gets too scared, that's the only way to get him to move. Bless him. Um, as I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the pod before, but I am by trade an IT guy. Oh. Um, and as an IT guy, it hurts me that Ripley blames the computer just because she, as a as a biological, was too slow to go and shut off the auto-destruct. Don't take it out on the computer. It's just doing what you told it, and it warned you you only had, like, 10 minutes to shut yeah. it off. You didn't do it in 10 minutes. Too bad, bitch. Although, there is, there is a, a caveat to this. If it were a printer that was in charge and was running that countdown it would definitely have done it maliciously because printers are a whole different breed of evil. Yeah, I, that, I think all printers are cursed with some yeah. kind of... Yeah. 
Some kind of they, they've been to that hell dimension that the yes, Event Horizon yes. went to, and they came back and they hate everyone. All printers are made out of ma- only solely made out of material that has been to a hell dimension and come it's back. Been salvaged from the Event Horizon <laughs> because they make no sense whatsoever. It's like Lost all of them. I was trying to print off recipes at work the other day. <laughs> I'm trying to get into pickling. My mum, my mum, bless her, she's grown so much, so many vegetables this year. Yeah. down and stuff we've got an abundance and vegetables are like one of my absolute favorite things but even i can't eat eat enough before they go so i've got into pickling so i was printing off all these pickling recipes i got i did two worked absolutely fine and then suddenly the printer was like no i'm not gonna work for you anymore not doing that now i had to uninstall it reinstalled it three times and then suddenly just for absolute i did nothing different <laughs> so any other time it suddenly went <laughs> clicked and just started printing and i was just it, like by that point oh, it had oh. asserted its dominance yeah so it was like right now i've shown you who's in charge yeah i'll fuck with your life I've, yeah. I've turned this what should have been a two minute exercise into a 20 minute frustration yeah uh, i'll work for you now prick <laughs> i want to give a shout out to um the scenes with ripley walking through the corridors of the ship which is getting ready to explode um, they are nothing short of iconic, you know, yes. the, the flashing lights, the sirens, the, the venting steam, the, 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 the iconic, as we've discussed, the, the set design for this ship, just that thing. It was replicated again in Aliens, yeah. where they, they almost recreated it scene for scene, except she has a pulse rifle with a flamethrower and, and Newt, the most annoying child in film history. Um but yeah, they are they are iconic. Yeah. Just watching that, it's only about thirty seconds long, I think. Uh, but it is a, it is phenomenal, and yeah, I really like that scene. I, I don't shout, know if that's coming across. <laughs> I shouted out that scene in Terminator as one that I felt should go to the Hall of Fame of like cinematic moments. Mm. There's a few in this film. Yeah, there's a it, few. It, it, what it does, it does really well. Yeah, there's a few scenes that will go down in cinematic history, definitely. And uh, and have been homaged countless times since. Countless times by everything. Yeah. In fact, I, have... I can't believe I watched all them series of Community and there was not one scene with like something bursting out of someone's chest because they they paid homage to everything else. Yeah. In that show. yeah. They do have the uh, the the power loader. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, yeah. That's yeah. Done. With the zombies yeah. and, and Troy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I thought this would work. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a costume. <laughs> I will. I, I enjoyed all, all of the uh, community, yeah. but it there, something does get lost when Troy and Pierce leave. It when does. Chevy and uh, Donald are no longer in it, there's it, there's a certain element. Like, it's, it's called it's, out in season six, isn't it? Yeah, um, Annie. Out well after because obviously for season six, um, Shirley didn't come back. No, um, what's his name? The other teacher didn't come back and was replaced right. with uh, Frankie. And she calls it out. It's mentioned it gets quite meta in season six, they oh, become yeah, that incredibly was, self aware. <laughs> yeah, from day one, that show is incredibly self aware, but it's just as it goes on, they just get more and more and yeah. more self aware. I'm Hashtag almost surprised that six seasons by the end, they're just like, Why are you still watching? Like. Well, the last one. episode basically is, isn't it? Yeah. The last episode is basically them um, coming up with how season seven is going to go. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. 
I have one more note on this, and it's a question. And I didn't realize this until I was writing up my notes last night. Um, what happens to Dallas? Because he's, he's in the, 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 the ducts, and you get that awesome jump scare where he looks one way, and then yeah. turns around and it's behind him, and it's just, rah! But then they, Parker states later that they found the weapon. Nobody. Oh, not him. No blood. Yeah. So where is he? What happens to him? Well, the first couple go missing. You know, you don't see their bodies, do you? Like they do start. Well, no, but you see them. You see them die, and there's, there's. They find uh, Brett, who is the the first one to die. Yeah. It's mentioned a little bit later that they find his body and it'd been eaten or something. Um, you see Parker's body. You see Lambert's. They get that very brief scene where Ripley finds them. Um, Ash, obviously, we know what happens to his body, but Dallas just kind of. Maybe it was just a, it's just a fatality of the editing and getting rid of Gore. Maybe yeah. there was like a further scene where where they come across his body or you find out what happens to him, but it was just too gory. Or yeah. he just took up, they were just like, right, no, we dealt with him. We don't need, for the narrative, we don't need to go back and see anymore. We can cut this section of the film, save us some time because we don't have to address it, maybe. Yeah. Like, I didn't even realise it while I was watching it. It was only literally as I was writing up my notes at like 11 o'clock last night or something that I realised it. So, yeah, well, that's it. That That is my notes. That is everything I had to discuss about this film. Um, Score? We do scores. Do the scores. Um, I like this film. I like there are What it does, it does very well. There's some very iconic scenes as we discussed. However... I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of films that that ratchet up the tension constantly like this one does. Yeah. Um, which it does lose some points on that. It's getting a seven for me. Okay. Yeah. I just on that point, I just feel like there's not many dynamics. Like, yeah. I think I used this the songwriting um, <laughs> metaphor before, where you put something quiet before something loud because you want the yeah. loud thing to hit harder. And I just feel like there there were moments that they could have had one or two scenes with a bit more levity, just to kind of pop that tension bubble. Yeah. They could refill it, but the popping of it and then the refilling it, it kind of it gives you more of a ride. Whereas this just feels like just one constant, yeah, tense filled two hours. It's, it's weird because they do it with the although the the, the tension's there with um, audio with the sound editing. They yeah. do that. You get loud bursts and then the quiet. And they, they, they do that. those contrasts really well. And those dynamics work really well. But, yeah, they just didn't do it with the overall tone, oh, which I think oh, costs yeah. it some points. I, I'm i going to do a disclaimer on my score. Um, and that's that all of these scores, scoring these films on their own, out of context with any, any anything else, well, yeah. They probably get different scores, but scoring them all on the same scale, yeah, I'm gonna have to give this a six. Oh, because like it would have got a seven, right? Probably would have got a seven scored on its own, yeah. But I did not enjoy going back and rediscovering this as much as I enjoyed going back and rediscovering Terminator or Predator, which both got sevens, yeah. So it feels kind of on this scale that I'm scoring on. It's going to have to be a six, but probably sense. on 
standalone, it would have been a seven, but I'm going to give it a six. Six. Okay, so that uh, I've done like some complex mathematics there. Would have given, yeah, standalone, I probably would have given Wonder Woman a nine, but on the scale, on the scale, yeah, it got a ten. So uh, I've done some complex uh, mental arithmetic there, and it gives it a combined score of six point five. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't very complex uh, mental arithmetic. I had to get somewhere between a six and a seven. So <laughs> if um, if anybody is actually keeping track, that can go down as a six. I, I am going to go back and and pick out the episodes where we give scores and uh, put this. I, I'm I'm going to track down all these weird things and I'm going to put together like a wiki just for this podcast so that we can keep track of this sort of shit. Find out find out which ones we didn't give scores and then we'll give yeah, them scores and we can do it. Yeah. Um, before we leave today, uh-huh. I'd just like to, I know I've moaned, nobody ever reaches out, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> but I would just like to take a moment to thank everybody that's listened. As I mentioned earlier on at the beginning of the episode, when I was going through my train wreck of an intro, um, <laughs> like the past few days have been, you know, been darker than days that I've had for a few months now. And, I was not in a good place when we started doing this and I am now what nearly three hours later in a much <laughs> better place. Like I have literally talked myself into a far, far better mood. Um, and that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen without doing this podcast. If nobody was literally, we got no downloads, we would have stopped doing this podcast ages ago. And yeah. I would have just probably moped about in my own fucking dark despair all day long. <laughs> And it would have taken days for me to claw myself out of this. So thank you for listening. By listening, you've given me this fun thing that I love to do every week that does genuinely make me a happier person. So thank everybody for that. You've you listening and Rooney for doing this with me has turned <laughs> my frown upside down. Ah. Uh, and on that note, wrap it up. Fuck all the new listeners. <laughs> find what you love believe in it positive things will happen see ya <laughs>